0: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Sports. We are brought to you by Campus2Canton, at Campus2, the number two, Canton, on the Twitter machine. I am joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, Nicholas Ian Allen, at CFP Winning Edge, on the Twitter machine, and Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about the Big Ten previewing the B1G as it stands here, Nick. And um, it's, it's interesting. I, the bottom feeder here is really near the bottom, especially right now. But the tippy top, playoffs, national championship. We got a lot of good teams here. So um, like we said in the last show where you were like, yep, pretty good offense, pretty bad defense. Maybe a lot of the reverse here in the Big Ten
1: yeah I think it's it's uh, certainly possible. There's still some quality offenses for sure, especially towards the top, but a uh, different, uh, different feeling for sure, even though obviously the Big Ten and the Pac 12 uh, are uh, more intertwined now than ever before, and will be uh, in the future as well.
0: Let's dive in here and talk about that bottom dweller, Northwestern, who finished one and 11 last season. Uh, DraftKings has their uh, win total at three. We are over the three, but Nick, Northwestern was already one of the lowest ranked P5 teams in our team strength rankings, and now the Wildcats have off-field issues to navigate. Is there a reason to expect Northwestern to play better than we think they're going to be this year? Is there any sliver
1: of hope for this team? I, I think on the surface and we've mentioned this before for teams that are basically undergoing complete rebuilds coming off of a 10-loss season you know sometimes a change in leadership at the head coaching position uh, mix up you know change up on uh, the play calling side of things offense and or defense sometimes that can give a team a jolt and Northwestern obviously is in a more unique situation than just that. The change at head coach didn't happen right after last season. It was, uh, of course, you know, everybody knows the story by now, but late summer change at head coach. We've got, uh, I believe he's technically still an interim head coach, um, but David Braun, who uh, was the defensive coordinator at North Dakota State the last few years, um, he was promoted to interim head coach or Yeah, it's still somewhat maybe ambiguous to me, but uh, he's in charge right now. So going from, you know, the FCS level, never actually having coached at not just the Power Five level, but the FBS level at all, um, and now as the head coach of a Big Ten team, um, that normally is not necessarily a, a situation that you would expect. Uh, would be overly positive for uh, a program, but, you know, maybe maybe it will be. Um, the other uh, potential, you know, uh, silver lining or, or uh, chance to uh, for this team, I think, to, to potentially bounce back is the schedule is manageable. Um, our strength of schedule numbers have Northwestern at 56. Uh, they play Rutgers to start the season. Uh, they also get UTEP and Howard in the, FC, or, uh, in the uh, non-conference schedule. And then Duke, who of course is, is uh, pretty good, but um, still a, a team that Northwestern is not going to be completely outclassed from a, a pure talent standpoint. So uh, you take those two into account, maybe a little bit of a, a spark from uh, a new head coach, new systems in place. a fairly manageable schedule. And then, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Northwestern was in the Big Ten championship game. So uh, this roster, even though it is on the lower end, uh, certainly in the Big Ten, but at the Power Five level, you know, they're 73rd in roster strength overall, 65th on offense, 58th on defense. um, There's still some talents uh, available. There is, uh, you know, some, there are a couple of players that you could get excited about transferring in quarterback Ben Bryant has started at both Cincinnati and Eastern Michigan. He is now at Northwestern. AJ Henning uh, has played quite a bit at the big 10 level transfer coming in from Michigan. Uh, Cam Johnson as well, who's been at both Vanderbilt and Arizona state. He has uh, got the potential to factor in as a, a starter at wide receiver Um, There are some injury uh, players who missed time due to injury last year who uh, you hope can get back and fully healthy. Charlie Mangieri at tight end, uh, Coco Azima at at, uh, defensive back. So uh, there's a chance that this team is going to take a a small step in the right direction as far as uh, the talent that they've got on hand. And we're just going to have to to wait and see if they're going to be able to translate that to a more competitive team on the field because last year, you know, after the win against Nebraska uh in Dublin, I mean, it was just very, very bad. Um uh, Only one game the rest of the way, did they have a post game win expectancy of, of higher than 50%. That was the 31, uh, 24 loss at Maryland. They came close to that number in a loss to Miami of Ohio, which is of course, uh, pretty embarrassing, not where you want to be if you're Northwestern, and they lost to an FCS opponent, Southern Illinois. So um, the rest of the schedule, I mean, there were uh, I mean, pretty pretty pitiful numbers on the offensive side of the ball. Um, not very many, uh, you know, super close games. Um, look at the advanced box score; not really a lot of them that came down to the wire. Um, so there's not a, a whole lot of optimism. You know, for for a variety of reasons. Um, nevertheless, like I said, a, a, a schedule where uh, there are some winnable games, and you know, the the potential for a little bit of a spark with uh, Pat Fitzgerald moving on. Had been there for you know well over a decade. Obviously, not everybody uh, on the roster was. uh, happy with how things were going when he was in charge. So um, maybe we'll see a little bit of a bounce back, but uh, for the most part, you know, this, this is a roster that is below FBS average, certainly below big 10 average uh, on the defensive side of the ball in particular, you know, the defensive line, the linebacker group, both um, toward the the very end uh, of the talent spectrum In the Big Ten, the offensive line ranks 13th in our position reading. So um, not a a lot to be optimistic about um, that we can put a number to. And so that's what we lean on more often than not. And even though, you know, the the projected winning percentages game by game uh, total up to that win total of of more than three, I'm not overly optimistic, but I I do think that um, I do think it's possible. If if we get some uh, positive momentum with with the coaching change,
0: Xavier, what are your thoughts for Northwestern? Obviously, a lot going on on the field and off the field right now. It kind of looks ugly. Is this kind of like a look? Let's see what they do with the interim head coach. See if he lasts, and just writing this off as kind of a lost year for Northwestern already, or do you think there's a silver lining of hope with that schedule, like Nick mentioned?
2: I mean, I would like to write it off just to be safe. I, I just you know, this feels like a locker room that's reeling a ton right now. And really, unfortunately, we we only know so much as of right now and so much is still to an extent coming out. And and I think um, think that's what, for me, concerns me a little bit. You know, typically with situations like this, you know, yeah, you can look to somebody maybe galvanizing, you know, a locker room. But, you know, Northwestern is a team that really this kind of feels like you're going to see years, and, I, and we already have but years and years of guys who are like, this affected me already. I've had, you know, you've had the guys who are like, I've had to go to therapy for this situation. And, you know, there's just so much that's coming out throughout the entire athletic department, not just uh, not just what's happening at um, in, for the football program. So, you know, yes, their, their schedule lends them to maybe being successful, you know, for, you know, uh, at least the beginning of the year, right, picking up Rutgers. I actually like this year uh, in some respects, uh, but they get UTEP, they get Duke, uh, they get Howard, you know, games that they should be winning. Uh, But, like, I just – I don't see a team, I don't see a a situation where they are, you know, where I feel confident in saying, like, yeah, this team's going to win, you know, four or five games. Uh, They're going to right the ship of last year. And, you know, this is a team that – I mean, you know, it was funny. After after last year, we talked – after the after the game last year, um, and I was excited from what I saw in the game against Nebraska and Ireland, right? I, I thought that they had shown some flashes of a team that at the very least could compete, right? Then they kind of showed it again later in the year, right, where where they were able to, I mean, for you know three and a half quarters with them and the weather, you know, really shut down an Ohio State offense that just looked you know anemic in that ball game, but it just wasn't consistent enough for them all year to really make a genuine impact week in and week out. And even against lesser teams so right now three wins feels like the absolute max for this roster for this team um, i like ben bryant i like some of the transfers that they were able to bring in some of the kids that they were able to even keep but i'm just not sold on a team that right now i think has a lot more going on you know off of the field and like i said the entire athletic department then you know what what, what we're you know what we're even able to see at the moment right so Three wins out of the names out of the, out of the teams I named earlier, right? We're Talk about UTEP, Duke, and Howard. Outside of that, maybe you feel maybe comfortable against a Rutgers at the beginning of the year, uh, but realist or maybe Iowa really is once again another iteration of what they were last year, uh, you know, offensively, and that gives them an opportunity to stay in that game. I just don't see a, a window and a path for them to find themselves, you know, four or five, uh, even six wins. Uh, for this team so i would probably stay right around i would probably pick the under if 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 anything uh when we're looking at that number but realistically i think three wins is the absolute maximum all right
0: let's move over to uh rutgers we're moving up uh, just a couple spots here floating right around 100 uh last year they were four and eight dk's got their win total at four and a half this is a rare occurrence where we have one of these low teams under their win total so nick Rutgers has yet to take off in Greg Shiano's second stint as head coach. The offense was bad in 2022, but with a veteran defense, potentially more stability overall. Is this the year the Scarlet Knights break through under Shiano for the second time?
1: It's going to be really tough. Um, You know, similar to Northwestern, the roster strength numbers are are just at the very low end uh, for, you know, big 10 Competition. They're 72nd in overall roster strength. They're 83rd on the offensive side of the ball. A little bit better on defense, 57th. And Rutgers had a, a defense that uh, was serviceable last year. I mean, they were 32nd in defensive team performance overall, 28th against the pass, 51st against the run. And that unit is actually going to be uh, hopefully a little bit healthier. If they get one of their better um, – Defensive players, better players on the roster back from injury. Mohamed Toure missed all of last season. Uh, expect him to, you know, get back in, in the starting lineup at linebacker. They also lost Moses Walker last year um, to injury, and, and uh, he provides some depth at, at that linebacker uh, spot. So uh, I, I think that you know there's a there's a recipe for Rutgers to be a A uh, kind of an annoying team, if that makes sense. You know, play good defense. They operate very methodically on offense. Last year they were 99th in offensive pace, almost 28 seconds between plays. Um, They only uh, had uh, 62.2 offensive plays per game against FBS opponents. So that's 119th in the country last year. So, you know, if, if they were to keep the same sort of uh, mindset or same sort of plan of action, you could see a situation where Rutgers continues to play pretty good defense because they do rank 31st in defensive returning production. Then you add those two guys I mentioned two or two of their better linebackers. Um, and if they just slow it down on offense, you could see a scenario where they're you know, playing some really low scoring games with chances to beat teams like Northwestern and Temple. Uh, You know, Wagner is one of the worst SCS opponents in the country. So that should be uh, a blowout. But um, they're going to be, for the most part, you know, at a pretty uh, big talent disadvantage just about everywhere else. Um, In our Talent Edge projections, they are at least a two point underdog in every other game outside of the Virginia tech game, that one they get a little bit of a boost Uh, that one's almost dead, even in talent edge, because that's a a Rutgers home game and we do adjust those two and a half points for home field advantage, but uh, you know, pretty much everywhere else uh, Rutgers is going in with the clear, you know, lesser talented team. Um, So it's just, it's going to be very, very tough. I think there are uh, some, some, Reasons for hope on offense, if that makes sense. Samuel Brown, the fifth, who missed some time with injury uh, toward the end of last season. Really highly running ba- uh, highly rated running back recruit who got some time as a true freshman last year. Sounds like he's back and healthy, ready to go week one. Um, they also returned the guy who ended up being the, the starter, played uh, more than half of snaps last season, Kyle uh, Monagai. My apologies if, that, if I mispronounced that. So, you know, the, there's some experience and some talent at the running back position. Gavin Wimsett's already been named the starting quarterback. Uh, he was a extremely highly rated recruit as far as Rutgers goes at the quarterback position. Enrolled early a couple of years ago, uh, but just never has quite put it together on the field. You hope if you know now is a, a third year. Sophomore with half a season's starting experience under his belt, um, maybe he takes another step uh, the offensive line is is you know fairly experienced they they've got three full time returning starters uh, two projected starters Scott you know, twenty percent or so of snaps last year. Johnny Langan is back at tight end, can do a variety of things, take some snaps in the backfield, uh as well, former quarterback, of course. Um, wide receiver is a question mark, but they do bring in Jaquait Jackson, who is a division two All American. They also bring in another transfer, uh, Nassim Brantley, who is highly productive and experienced at, at a lower level. So um there's there's potential. I do think the defense could be legitimately good. And I do think that, you know, Greg Schiano, um, his, his, uh, operation, you know, his style, uh, as a head coach makes me think that he's going to lean into his strengths and, and defense certainly being that. And perhaps, uh, unless we see a big step forward at the offensive, uh, skill positions with Rutgers, um, they're probably going to you know, keep it slow and, and try to uh, win close, low-scoring games. Uh, the margin of error is very, very small, but that might be their best chance. Um, I'm just not super optimistic they're going to get there. I mean, it's a top 25 schedule. Uh, as far as strength of schedule, there are certainly winnable games, but to expect a breakthrough season – Um, it it just doesn't seem likely. I mean, they're playing in the East, of course. Uh, They draw Wisconsin and Iowa, our two highest teams, uh, two highest ranked teams out of the West. It's just, it's going to be really, really tough. And um, they're going to have to find a way to win some ugly games and and keep those games ugly uh, to get it done. And and I personally am just not not that
0: optimistic. Xavier, any optimism here for Rutgers? Are you in the same boat?
2: Yeah, I think they'll be competitive. I think that there'll be a team that like Nick alluded to is going to be annoying. Just kinda of hanging around in games. Wouldn't be surprised if we saw Rutgers, you know, even up at halftime in one of these ball games but ultimately not being able to finish the deal. Um, I think that's kind of where they've been trending over the last couple of years, right? Uh, where they've just been good enough to handle business versus the teams that are just, you know, beneath them, whether that be talent wise or, or in the way that they're playing at the time that they see them. Right. Um, but ultimately, not being able to get become a consistent nuisance throughout the conference, uh, like you know, you take, you take last year for for instance, right, lose to Nebraska by one. Um, you're able to beat Indiana, who was having a, a down year. You're competing with Michigan State in a down year, cool. Uh, but like the gap is still there when you look at you know them getting beat, you know, 31 to nothing to a Minnesota team, 52 17 to a Michigan, 49 10 to a uh, to an Ohio State. So. You still see that, like even though you're contending, you know, with the bottom teams and you're being somewhat of a nuisance to the middle, the top is still a long way away from where you are at the current at the current uh, juncture. So, this is a team that, you know, when you look at their schedule for me, they get Wagner again for the second year, uh, or they, well, yeah, for the second year in a row. Um, so that should be another, you know, a win that they have on their schedule. Um, I'm I'm ex- I'm excited to see what they do against Virginia Tech. Um. I don't know, if Nick, if you could tell me if this is a home-and-home. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, just you know, I, I would like to see what this kind of alludes to for the next two seasons for them as both of them try to continue to build their programs back to being relevant. Uh, but, once again, I think this is a team that can be a nuisance. Four-and-a-half feels a little bit of a stretch. Now, once again, as we get to talking, you know, later in, in, in this podcast, that's all dependent on whether or not teams like Iowa have figured out the offense – um, you know, and, and whether or not Wisconsin has figured out what they wanna what their identity is going to be now that Grand Merch is gone, um, uh, you know, and, and things of that nature. But I think that you're looking at a team that realistically wins three to four games, you know, handles business against Northwestern, beats Temple, beats Wagner, and then maybe pull that one and another one, maybe that be Indi- maybe that being Indiana, being Iowa, uh maybe they c- catch Maryland who's, you know, maybe given up at the end of the year uh for a Maryland team that thinks gonna be rather scrappy this year. Uh but I, I I can't see them going more than four, so I, I would go on their under, uh, which is why I was four, four and a half, going on their under. Um, I think that, once again, they're, they're, they're being competitive, which is good, but they, in the next couple of years, we've got to see them make uh, a jump into maybe that mid-tier um, of the Big Ten. Um, I know that's going to be get, it, get it increasingly harder with, with all the conference realignment, uh, but they've got to figure themselves out because realistically they can't just be the feisty Rutgers team Every, you know, every season. We're going to have to see some type of, you know, uh, course of action for them to get to that, you know, five, six, maybe, you know, yearly bowl eligible team that kind of just picks apart, you know, one team in the in the Big Ten seemingly every season. All right, let's go over to one of the last kind of real
0: bottom feeders in the Big Ten, at least according to team strength ratings. Indiana coming in at 86. They were four and eight last season. DK is low on their win total, though, three and a half only for this season. So we are over the three and a half but nick for indiana the hoosiers technically took a step forward record wise in 2022 but four and eight was still disappointing given the success under tom allen earlier in his tenure can indiana get back into the bowl mix in 2023
1: yeah uh real quick to follow up on uh xavier's question rutgers is currently scheduled to go to blacksburg in 2024 we'll see if that uh because of course the Big 10 schedule is, is evolving. Uh, we'll, we'll see if they're able to make that work again, but that, yeah, that'll be a fun game. Um, Indiana basically took the exact opposite approach of what we were just talking about with Rutgers. Um, we talked about playing good defense, keeping, you know, playing keep away a little bit on offense by moving slow. Indiana uh, to basically everyone's surprise, mine included, uh, ranked among the fastest offenses in the country in terms of pace. I mean, they were snapping the ball, uh, you know, a play every 21 seconds, which ranked fifth in the country last year. They were 15th in plays per game against FCS, or excuse me, FBS opponents only. So um, that I did not expect, but when they made the move to offensive coordinator, uh, Walt Bell, formerly uh, UMass, um, they just decided to go at, at, you know, as fast as they could basically on offense. Uh, and it didn't really work because uh, Indiana ranked 109th in offensive team performance overall, 124th passing, 93rd rushing. Um, and they just, they really struggled. I mean, if you look statistic by statistic and, and some of the ones that we pay closest attention to against FBS opponents, uh, they were 128th in yards per play 127th in yards per pass attempt. Um, They were 118th in success rate, 119th in EPA per play, 116th in points per drive. It just, it was a real struggle. And, um, you know, they, they had some injury issues. Cam Camper was leading the nation in targets per game uh, and maybe targets overall when he went down with a knee injury uh, seven games into the season transfer from uh, the junior college level. So, That certainly hurt a bit, um, but didn't get, you know, super great quarterback play uh, overall. That's a little bit of a question mark coming into this year because uh, a couple of redshirt freshmen are uh, competing for that top spot. Taven Jackson, who is a highly rated recruit, transfer coming in from Tennessee. Uh, He and Brendan Soresby, it sounds like, are are sort of neck and neck uh, last we saw, but then Dexter Williams, the second um who did play a bit last year but went down with a knee injury he's in the mix there's a red, or excuse me a true freshman Brock, Brock Lowry who could play his way in so um you know if they get that position figured out like just about every team uh there's certainly room for growth but with it being a, a major question mark um you know i'm i'm not super optimistic right now unless they do some things a, a little bit different than they did last year. There is some uh, strength at the running back position. Josh Henderson was uh, a solid option, mostly as the, the backup Sean Shivers last year, but um, did uh, provide some value as a pass catcher. Jalen Lucas is legitimately one of the, the fast. You know, uh, I saw he was uh, recently ran a 4-3-5-40 in, in Indiana's um summer workout so one of the faster running backs in the Big 10 can provide some big play ability uh on offense and special teams as well excited to see what he can do as a uh sophomore after you know getting his feet wet last year um he and Josh Henderson are kind of that thunder and lightning option with with Henderson being 220 plus and Lucas being the you know 160 170 type uh, running back. Plus, they bring in Christian Turner as a transfer from Lake Forest. Um, so there's there's some strength there, some talent uh, at the running back position. There's also some talent at wide receiver, as I mentioned, with Camper back and fully healthy, uh, EJ Williams and Dequise Carter both transferring in. Uh, Williams from Clemson, I believe, and then Carter was a, a transfer, highly productive uh, from Fordham at the FCS level. Um, and then Donovan McCulley, who is a former uh, quarterback recruit who is emerging potentially as a, a contributor at wide receiver. And then Anderson Kobe was a starter last year, um, but probably expect him to move down the, the pecking order a little bit at the wide receiver position with the transfers and with camper fully healthy. But um, the offensive line really, really struggled last season. They ranked 111th in O-line performance. Uh, they certainly missed Matthew Bedford, uh, who was out for uh, most of last season due to injury. He's working himself back into the mix. Um, they bring in a, a 25 game starter transfer, uh, Max Longman from UMass, but he may or may not factor into the starting lineup. Um, we'll, you know, we'll see on offense. Like a a lot of teams, you can look at individual pieces and think, okay, you know, if they lean into this, you know, if they lean into the talent they've got in the running back group, or if, uh, you know, the the transfer wide receivers um, emerge, if the quarterback position, uh, which is obviously the biggest question mark, if if they get average or better quarterback play and improvement in that side, then, then, you know, I could talk myself into this being a, a pretty fun offense, but um, they're going to have to take a, a big step forward with a lot of questions for that to happen. And, you know, defensively, Tom Allen's a de- defensive uh, head coach. He actually was a defensive play caller last year, has since gone out and, uh, uh, hired a, a uh, defensive coordinator, Maciari, who was most recently at Ohio State. Prior to that, was at Duke. Has had a you know up and down career as a play caller. Um, but uh, Indiana last year did pretty well against the run. They ranked 32nd in defensive team performance uh, rushing, but really struggled against the pass and ranks among the you know bottom 10 teams in defensive returning production. They actually rank 121st in overall returning production. So um, there's a lot of new faces. A lot of transfers are expected to either be starters like Andre Carter from uh, Western Michigan. Sounds like he's off to a great start in fall camp. Uh, but then, you know, Jacob Mingham farrer from Stanford, Nicholas Toomer, uh, Jameer Johnson, Kobe Miner, have all those guys pimpled in to start. There are only two full-time starters returning and then have – you know, half a dozen other players uh, right now projected in the two deep, uh, all among, you know, the front seven. So um, there are just so many questions for Indiana, so many position groups that are in flux, uh, don't grade out particularly well in our position strength numbers. For instance, you know, they're 13th at quarterback in the Big Ten, 108th nationally. Uh, they are uh 96 nationally at linebacker 14th in the big 10 they are 11th in the big 10 and defensive back position strength 62nd nationally so i mean there's there's just not a lot that you can point to out of the running back group and the wide receiver group where you know gives you gives you real confidence that we're going to see him bounce back so um the schedule is tough top 15 nationally They get two winnable non-conference games in Indiana State and Akron, but Louisville, you know, right now is a a two two, to, excuse me, a a 10-point favorite in our projections. They play in the East. They get Illinois, Wisconsin, and defending West uh, champion Purdue in the the crossover games. It's just, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Indiana to make it back to a bowl game, you know, where they look like they were consistently emerging uh, or excuse me, emerging as a consistent bull team heading into the last couple of years. And yeah, we're over the three and a half, cause that's a pretty low number, but quite honestly, my level of, uh, optimism and, and, you know, whether or not I, I actually, uh, like being on the right side, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I think four wins is certainly possible. Um, but man, there's a lot of questions Uh, at a lot of positions on on this roster right
0: now. Xavier, your thoughts on Indiana, you know, um, a team that could surprise, like Nick said, a lot of uh, units are kind of in question. They should be better. Are you holding any hope out for Indiana or uh, are you thinking this is probably about right for them?
2: Yeah, I think their offense could be one of the surprises of the Big Ten this year for sure. Right. You know, we, we talked to, you know, Nick alluded to the the quarterback situation. If Taven Jackson is the guy, you know, watching some of his high school tape, he reminded me a lot of uh, Boise State's current quarterback, Taylor Green. Um, Wiry with a, with a sizable arm. Uh, Likes to be a big play guy, but obviously has a real big strength with using his legs. Um, Apparently he also grew, grew th- two to three inches. spinning in, co- in college. I uh, was listed as six, three in high school, is currently now listed as six, five on the roster sheet. So, once again, you know, ha, you know, has the ability, like I said, with Taylor Green kind of being somebody that I looked at similarly to him as far as his build and his play style is concerned, um, the quarterback at Boise State. this could, be, Like I said, this could be an offense that could surprise some people. E.J. Williams, you know, I know it's been a while since, you know, he, he's, you know, really impacted a season. But, you know, after he was supposed to be a guy, like a genuine dude at Clemson to, to carry the torch uh, for that wide receiver room going into the next, you know, the next, uh, recruiting cycle, essentially the next four years just didn't pan out injuries kind of hampered that, um, as well as, you know, um, they didn't having this, you know, kind of shift their offense to kind of fit DJ's abilities. But, you know, he's one of those kids who was one of the, the, the three or four guys who flashed at the, um, you know, the spring game who making great catches, one handed grabs here and there. I mean, so if he could hit the ground running here in Indian, obviously he's going to be something special. If Cam Camper uh Camper can stay healthy, you're looking at a kid who could easily be a thousand yards next year. You know, uh 42, 46 catches, five sixty nine and two touchdowns last year. Um I don't see why he can't improve on that if once again, you know, the quarterback situation is stable uh this year. Uh you know, but all that being said, it's just so much, you know, so much of a revolving door seemingly everywhere. Um once again, you know, Nick alluded to them being a you know, Tom Allen being a defensive coach. He's gonna have a defensive job on his hands, right? You know, he's got transfers are going to be starting at every level of his defense and in some cases um or in every case multiple transfers at every level of his defense i think so it's going to be one of those situations where once again you're looking at a team that could genuinely surprise some people because they don't know what they're going to have on display uh but on the flip side of that could take a couple of weeks to kind of get you know get to gelling the only problem for them is their first week is against Ohio State. They don't have any weeks to get uh, get it right, For you know, for, for instance, right? You know, they get Indiana State, they get Akron, um, but we all know Akron's, no, you know, we all know um, how MAC teams are no slouch, uh, even even Akron. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking about a, a team that, like Nick alluded to, just doesn't look like it's going to have those weeks, you know, uh, subsequent weeks in a row where they're going to be able to kind of figure it out but they're going to be able to take, you know, two or three weeks against either same, uh, you know either like opponents or lesser opponents and figure out some of the kinks, figure out some of the gelling issues, figure out some of the things that they need to work on. And then, you know, boom, they hit their stride. It's like, well, we get Ohio State. Then we get Louisville. Then we get Maryland. Then we get a bye week. Great. Then we get Michigan. It's like at no point do they have the luxury of being able to kind of sit back and assess what's going on with, with their units and with their team next year. And, you know, when you have that many transfers, it worries me that, you know, at no point will you be able to find that level of confidence on a consistent basis um, where you're like, okay, cool, we've got something working before we see, you know, one of the bigger dogs in the Big Ten who's really just going to kill us and, you know, possibly, you know, throw all that, you know, confidence and consistency out of the window. So I think this is a team that, you know, three and a half wins feels right, feels right, um, you know. I think this could be a four-win ball club, you know, if they're able to catch maybe, you know, a Maryland slipping early in the year, you know, that or, you know, after they're in our conference schedule, or if they're able to, you know, Michigan State and Purdue towards the end of the year, maybe they're able to pick up on there. But realistically, I, this is a team I don't think that gets anywhere close to a bowl game this year. Uh, but has a lot of pieces, you know, uh, that they can lean on transfer-wise that has two years of eligibility that – we'll see a lot of these same guys if they play well next year. And that could be a positive that they look forward to definitely going into the next season. Just this isn't the year that I would be uh, picking Indiana to be anywhere close to a bowl game.
0: All right, let's jump up 20 spots to Purdue last season, eight and six, five and a half is their DK win total. Um, we have them under that five and a half for this year. So Nick, I mean, new head coach, Ryan Walters oversaw one of the top defenses in the country in 2022 at Illinois. And he inherits a program coming off a of West division title. So why are our projections so low on the Boilermakers for 2023?
1: Well, so part of that is being a, a first time uh, head coach. And, uh, you know, we do head coach ratings. They are specific to team performance uh, ratings specifically for a head coach. But when we have a first time person in that role, they have no history, you know, Leading a program, we have to put in a, a generic rating for a Power Five head coach. That's an 80, uh, which is you know ranks uh, uh, 89th right now in, in our um, head coach rankings, just because you know we don't we don't know what to assign otherwise. So that pulls down the rating a little bit compared to Jeff Brom, who has a, a track record of success, uh, but also Purdue, you know already. Is uh, on the lower end, similar to other teams in this you know group that we're talking about in the Big Ten, as far as their roster strength goes. They're 62nd overall, 68th on offense, 56 on defense. Brom was able to consistently uh, get this program to play a little bit better than its talent profile, but with a you know, first-time head coach. That that's certainly no guarantee. Could happen, obviously. Um, Walters, as you mentioned, uh, put together one of the best defenses in the country last year, and and the defense at Purdue is uh, the stronger uh, of of the two sides of the football based on those roster strength ratings. But um, another major factor is uh, Purdue has the toughest schedule in the country, according to our strength of schedule rating. So the average uh, team strength rating uh, uh, that that Purdue faces is is the toughest in the country. They play obviously the nine Big Ten uh, opponents. They draw both Ohio State and Michigan from the East, in addition to Indiana. And their non-conference schedule includes two Power Five opponents in Syracuse and Virginia Tech, as well as Fresno State, uh, who has consistently been one of the better group of five programs in the country. So there's nine conference games, two of them against two of the top four teams in the country um, that, that normally, you know, you may not have to play both of those teams in one season uh, in the crossover, uh, you know, cross division matchups. And then, you know, Virginia Tech and Syracuse are not world beaters, but they are power five programs of of similar talent, if not a little bit better. There's just no easy out on the schedule. So a team that, uh, you know, doesn't have a a major talent uh, advantage really in any game. I mean, we've got a double digit talent edge against Fresno State. Um, But otherwise, you know, Purdue only has a talent edge of of, uh, right around a field goal against Syracuse, Illinois, and Indiana, and they're the talent disadvantage in our talent edge projections in every other game. So, you know, this has been a a very competitive program, Um, and I think they could continue to be competitive, but uh, with the questions that, you know, head coach just not really knowing what to expect – and a roster that is on the lower end uh even with you know some talented guys like TJ Sheffield at receiver uh you know three returning starters on the offensive line uh, Hudson Card transferring in at quarterback uh Jamal uh, Edrin from FAU a wide receiver uh pretty interesting uh wide out, kind of curious to see what he's able to do at at the Power 5 level Devin Maccabee was a walk on uh, turned out to be one of the more productive running backs in the Big Ten. I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's some players to like, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But just just the way that we run the numbers, you know, it it, it looks like it's going to be very very difficult for Purdue. Uh, they lost some players uh, through the transfer portal. Um, you know, the, the back seven, there's certainly some experience guys like Kadron Jenkins, OC brothers, who I, uh, just heard mentioned or read that, you know, really taken on a leadership role on that unit. Uh, Cam Allen and, and Sanusi Kane are returning starters in the secondary, but they're going to rely on a handful of starters who are transfers coming in. Um, and it's just, man, a, a lot has to go right for Purdue to uh, get back to the level of play that they showed last year. And there's just, there's a lot of question marks. So even though Ryan Walters really strong track record as a defensive play caller inherits a, uh, uh, you know, decent level of talent on defense, at least it's a, a little bit better, grades out a little bit better than our offensive roster strength numbers do. And that unit was a strength last year. They ranked 41st in defensive team performance, uh, 29th against the run. There's just, there's a lot of question marks everywhere else. So, uh, you know, I, I don't love the idea of picking a division or excuse me, a defending division champ to, uh, come in with a, a sub 500 record. Um, but, uh, you know, just looking at the evidence available to us, they're favored in just four games, as you, as you said, the toughest schedule in the country with a first time head coach I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons to uh, think that under five and a half is is probably the right side to be on.
0: Xavier, do you have any hope in this brutal schedule for Purdue, or are you thinking like Nick, it's mm-hmm. uh, being under is probably the right spot to be on for them?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that last year they kind of had a culmination of you know, you know, a, a recruiting cycle that maybe finally hit. You know, it's absolute peak. Um, and that's okay. Like, you know, I, I think that realistically, you know, the idea that they drop back down to earth a little bit after last year's, you know, after last year's, I think, more than fine. Uh, I think Hudson Carr going to come in and, you know, he has an opportunity here to really be to, – to really, you know, get his career back on track. You know, not necessarily saying it, it fell off the rails, but, you know, obviously getting a guy at, at, you know, at Texas who just, you know, couldn't sew in the job um and obviously you know now it's Quinn Ewers so I think that realistically Purdue is going to be in the transition year and that's okay after having the year they just had um with a brand new head coach um they're gonna have to figure their identity out throughout the year unfortunately for them like Nick alluded to and like you said they're gonna have to figure that out while also having paying playing uh you know the toughest schedule in college football this year um you know and it's just it's just not an easy way to figure that out right but At the same time, they did bring in transfers with, you know, some experience under the belt. That includes Card, right? This is the guy who last time he played, you know, put up six touchdowns and one INT um, in his time. You know, he's technically a junior, even though he has three years of eligibility left. He's played in some big games, um, you know, so at the very least, you know, if he comes to play, uh, he should be a guy that they can lean on week in and week out. I like T.J. Sheffield a lot. Uh, You know, the wide receiver room has to come around with Card. Uh, But sometimes that's a good thing. You know, you've got a bunch of guys who – are all trying to figure themselves, who are all, um, you know, creating chemistry and uh, cohesion as the offseason progresses. Um, at the same time, though, like like you guys alluded to, the idea of having to play Fresno State in week one, Virginia Tech in week two, you know, and your your true, you know, your, your non-conference schedule doesn't feature a team that, you know, nobody, you know, it, to, to be nice, nobody can name or knows where the school is. You know, I think, you know, that you're going to have to struggle this year. Um, and that's, like I said, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think if you told Purdue fans that last year they'd win the Big Ten, uh, their Big Ten division, if they had to go through a year of uh, of growing pains, I think they would all bite your hand off for it. So I think it's going to be a year of progression. I think it's going to be a year, you know, where they have to figure out their identity again um, after they had, you know, such a steadying force in, uh, in O'Connell at like, quarterback for, for such a while and obviously now. They they they've got card and hopefully he can be that for them. Uh, but we're you know we're, we're we're gonna have to see and he's gonna obviously be thrown you know right into the deep end as he gets one of the hardest uh, if not the hardest schedule in, in college football.
0: All right, let's move up to sixty Michigan State last season finishing at five and seven five and a half would be their win uh, win total from DK right now. We are technically under at five and a half. And for Michigan State, the Mel Tucker era has been a roller coaster for the Spartans with an offense that ranks 120th in returning production and struggle mightily in 2022. Is a bounce back season possible in East Lansing
1: for the Spartans? I I do think it's possible. I have not given up hope on Mel Tucker. Um, I know that, you know, he's sort of the butt of a lot of jokes after signing a, a just huge contract extension and and then they uh, pretty much fell apart uh, last year uh, compared to, you know, where they were double digit wins the the previous season. But um, even though there's a lot of question, you know, roster wise, uh, they rank 120th in offensive returning production, as you said, 98th overall, the quarterback position is now a bit of a question. Their starter transferred to Auburn, Peyton Thorne. Um there was some optimism for guys like Noah Kim, who it sounds like has a, a little bit of a lead in that uh competition and, and they've recruited that position well with guys like Caden Hauser uh behind him is a redshirt freshman and then Sam Levitt uh this past year. Both of those guys are you know solid four star recruits. Um so it's it's the potential I think is there uh at that position to, to be just as good if not in the long run, maybe a little bit better than they were with Peyton Bourne, But, uh, anytime you're, you know, seeing a starter walk out the door, not necessarily, uh, a, a big sign of, of, uh, good things to come and, and you know, lost Keon Coleman, uh, arguably their, their, uh, best and, and most talented wide receiver, uh, who was expected to return this past year, of course, Jaden Reed, uh, off to the NFL as well. So, um, in the passing game, you know, there's there's some uh, signs that <laughs> that that we might see uh, them take a little bit of a, a step back. I mean, they ranked 72nd in offensive team performance, passing-wise, last year. That was a good bit better than they were uh, rushing. They were 109th in our team performance numbers, running the football. Um, but if you look at it, at least on paper, it seems that Michigan State's built a little bit. Uh, more, you know, to be a a decent running team like we saw two years ago when they had such success uh, with uh, Kenneth Walker, you know, uh, emerging as a uh, high-round NFL draft pick and a Heisman Trophy candidate. So uh, will they be able to get back to that? Uh, It's hard hard to imagine given, you know, the struggles they had last year, but Jalen Berger being back, bringing in, Nathan Carter, a transfer who flashed at times at UConn, uh, an offensive line that, though it struggled last year, 123rd in our O-line performance numbers. They do bring back three full-time starters. You know, the two other guys that we've got penciled in uh, have experience, have started multiple games each, have played you know, uh, 25 to 50% of snaps, um, and then, you know, bring in a a talented junior college player in Keyshawn Blackstock, you could squint and and talk yourself into that offensive line uh, improving, maybe even moving a little more toward being an average FBS unit. And if that's the case, then then I do think that uh, at least in terms of, you know, philosophy or the way they operate—that that this Michigan State offense will look a little bit more like the 2021 unit. I think they'll have to kind of lean into that to uh, to, to try to get back to to that level. But um, you know, you're going to have to be uh, two dimensional or have to have to show that you're a threat to to throw the football. So it'd be really interesting to see how that quarterback situation works itself out. You know, is Trey Mosley going to be the go-to guy? Are they going to get Uh, some production out of Elante Brown an incoming transfer Antonio Gates jr. Had a big spring game. Um, How will he emerge? What's the tight end position going to look like? I was a big fan of Malik Carr uh, as a recruit when he signed at Purdue as a wide receiver, four-star guy has kind of outgrown that position developed into a tight end, but hasn't emerged really as the playmaker that I expect him to be. So a lot of questions, on offense. And then, you know, defensively, even though it's a more experienced group uh, it was actually the weaker side of the ball. As far as our team performance numbers go, they were 96 overall, they were 114th passing and 56th against the run. So, you know, maybe a little bit of a, a sign of optimism there, but still a unit that really, really struggled. Cal Halliday at linebacker is a productive uh, you know, all conference caliber linebacker Jacoby Windman, uh, who unfortunately was involved in the brawl at Michigan and, and got suspended for uh, a big chunk of last season. But he was highly productive, especially uh, as a pass rusher. He is back and, and assume is going to be uh, at full strength. Uh, Chris Bogle, who uh, was limited by injury last year as well. You have to get those two guys back and, and uh, able to contribute a full season's worth of snaps, then that's a bit of an improvement. The defensive line added a couple of transfers that I think you can uh, be a little bit excited about. Jalen Sami was arguably the best, uh, you know, front seven player at Colorado uh, last year, very, very experienced 320 you know, pound guy. If he can solidify the middle of that defensive line along with, you know, Simeon Barrow is a returning starter, then, there's the potential that, that they could be a fairly disruptive unit. The secondary brings back three or five full-time starters. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, there, there I think, is uh, the possibility that we see this team take a step forward, even though they have a lot of the same questions as a team like Indiana, for instance, who I wasn't very optimistic about. Um, I, I think that we've seen this team – be very competitive very recently, even though last year was a major, major disappointment, a huge step in the wrong direction. And even though the schedule is tough, uh, playing Washington again in the non-conference is, is difficult. Even central Michigan in week one, central Michigan typically plays power five programs pretty well. They've, they've upset a few and, and uh, nearly upset a few uh, before that, but you know, with a top 15, strength of schedule there's still I think uh, the opportunity there's a path to you know five and one start four and one uh or excuse me four and two uh with central Michigan Richmond Washington's going to be tough but that game is at home Maryland Iowa on the road obviously you know very difficult opponent uh but you know then the the trip to Rutgers um you could You could talk yourself into that being a, a a four and two stretch, maybe even five and one if if they can beat Iowa on the road. Washington, probably going to be tough still, but uh, if if Michigan State takes a step forward and figures some things out in that manageable first half of the schedule, then you know they're going to be a, a potentially a tough team to beat down the stretch with some more winnable games at Minnesota, uh, home against Nebraska at Indiana, um, there's, there's you know, the potential for this team to uh, find their way back to bowl eligibility. So even though we have them coming up short, even though we have uh, you know, under the five and a half, I'm not as optimistic in that as I am uh, you know, some others probably that, that we'll discuss. I, I, can, I can see a path to six wins. Um, And it's not, it doesn't take a a whole lot of things to go right. It's just some small improvements at a few key spots. And whether or not we see those, you know, obviously time will tell. But um, I I, I do feel a little more optimistic about Michigan State getting back to that point than, you know, the other teams that we've talked about so far, uh, Purdue, Indiana. Uh, most specifically, closer in their their power rankings. I, I think that I think that there's uh, more reason to to be optimistic uh, that Michigan State's going to take a step forward than, than those teams.
0: Xavier, your, your thoughts on Michigan State? Do you think they take a step forward, or is this uh, lateral movement maybe the roller coaster is kind of hit a snag and we're going to stay the same? Uh, what do you think about about Michigan State here?
2: They got to figure out an offense that can be consistent. And I think Nick alluded to, you know, some of the successes that they had with Kenneth Walker, but, you know, I, I really do feel like that was somewhat of a flash in the pan. You kind of, you know, were able to bring in this transfer in Kenneth Walker who I don't think anybody saw coming. Um, now Jalen Berger is, you know, some would say is just as talented um, in some ways, you know, the kid, the kid can go. Um, and So if they have an ability to run the football this year, obviously that's going to be where their identity lies. But realistically the, the problem with, with, Michigan State over the last couple of years, you know, outside of the 2020 year, is their inability to throw the football. Uh, they just don't have and have not had a consistent passing game that puts fear in anybody's heart when they play them. And I think that's your biggest problem so far under Mel Tucker is, you know, the defense has shown flashes, you know, and shown ability to to be, you know, good at times. The running game has obviously shown the biggest flash, right? Um, showing an ability to, to run the football pretty consistently. If he can find a quarterback that just – has a pulse in the intermediate to deep ball game week in and week out. That's what he's been looking for this whole time. You know, I talked about it last year. I didn't I didn't believe in Peyton Thorne. And I think I was right in, in a lot of what I said about his, his game last year and really the limitations of their passing game that existed, even with arguably one of the better receiving cores in the country, Uh, you know, last year, you know, you know at least by name, right? Um. So I think realistically you look at this team – coming into this year, and they got to figure that out. They got to figure that out. If they can figure out a way to throw the football consistently, you know, force teams to to make a lighter box um, and things of that nature, then, yeah, you're going to have a team in, in Michigan State that absolutely could sneak up on some folks, right, that could that, that could sit there uh, and make a bowl game and maybe even kill there, that five-and-a-half DK win total, right, could, could absolutely obliterate it. On the flip side of that, if they don't and they have to, you know, drag out, you know, you know, uh, backyard fights every single time that they play, you're going to see a team that maybe hovers right at five wins, maybe maybe just gets to six because their, their schedule, you know, allows them to start off. You know, Nick, you alluded to. I mean, they could really start off four and one, five and zero. Oh. You know, I, I'm not saying that they're going to beat Washington for sure. I think Washington's a more talented team, but Washington has also shown an ability has shown a lack of ability on the road sometimes to be consistent. So once again, like you're looking at a team in in Michigan state that plays one, I think team that we have getting to a bowl game, (laughs) Um, you know, uh, in their first six, you know, and that being Washington, right. You know, you get a bye week and get Rutgers. You know, I don't mean to be mean, but they'll probably use that bye week to prepare for Michigan as well. Just put it out there uh, depending on how their season is going. But I think realistically, this should be a seven or eight win ball club just based on how their schedule kind of plays out. But they've got so much to figure out, in my opinion, on the offensive side of the ball that I think they're going to have to, you know, drag the way to six wins. Um, you know, hopefully they figure out the quarterback situation. It seems like they've got a ton of options, but not, nobody has uh, necessarily separated themselves as the guy. I was, you know, I, I think Noah Kim, you know, has an has an opportunity to do so. Um, he's got three years of eligibility, so hopefully they can figure that out. But I don't think Caelan Hauser is any slouch, you know. Um, obviously, being a, a fringe five star coming out of high school, so I, I would love to say Michigan State, you know, gets, you know, that that twenty twenty, you know, boost where we're talking about them coming November as a team that could possibly sneak their way into the Big Ten championship game. I just don't see it as of right now. I, I think that this is a team that that needs a ton of growth on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they're going to be leaning on a defense that could do everything, that, that, you know, is still going to be relying on transfers this year, um, outside of everywhere but the linebacker room and their DB room. Uh, but that offense is what has been holding them back the last couple of years, in my opinion, and what is going to continue to hold them back this season from really hitting that next level.
0: All right, let's move up. And not a surprise to anyone that has followed us for a long time, but Nebraska gets Matt Rule, and Nick wants to move them up in the rankings here, of course. Uh, we bump up to 51 for Nebraska, who finished 4-8 and eight last season, obviously a disappointment. Uh, six is their DK win total. We are, of course, over the six. And, Nick, <laughs> I mean, here we go again for Nebraska, right? A new head coach brings high hopes the Cornhuskers can get back on track. But can we expect Rule to find immediate success in Lincoln or is Nebraska in full rebuild mode once again here?
1: Well, so I I do have to say our rankings have nothing to do with my opinion. It's just how Uh the numbers work themselves Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Matt Rule. Who makes the rankings? The numbers, the numbers yeah.
0: numbers. Yeah. It is, it okay, is.
2: Okay, this okay. <laughs> sounds like the conversation that like everybody had with the BCS. Who makes the rankings? <laughs> the computers, the computers. Don't, don't touch me. Just a computer. Exactly. Right, 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 That's yeah, yeah. true.
1: Yeah. yeah. No human error at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a combination of raw talent, adjusted for experience and production, as well as our team performance numbers that go into the, you know the head coach ratings. Uh, J.K. JK, Nick, J.K. JK. Hey, hey, you know, I just want to make sure uh, it can be a little complicated. I want to make sure I'm communicating to any first time first time listeners out there. Uh, But, yeah, Matt Rule uh, was a personal favorite when he was at Baylor. Um, Really liked, you know, the proved that he could take a program uh, that was in a tough spot, both at Temple and at Baylor and turn them both into you know, conference champion caliber uh, teams Uh, that magic didn't work in the NFL, but um, he's back and, you know, the college game. And and so far uh, undefeated, right? (laughs) He's uh, uh, got, got some positive um, buzz in the program and, and we'll just have to see. But as you said, here we go again, you know, Nebraska, we've seen, a new head coach come in with a lot of uh, optimism, um, reason to get excited. And I mean, in a lot of ways, Scott Frost was the perfect hire on paper for Nebraska. And it obviously just did not work. They just weren't able to win enough on the field. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see if Matt Rules got that program builder uh, touch if you know he's able to to recapture that after uh seeing some uh, la- a lack of success at the NFL level um because it's tough to win now at nebraska i mean the big 10 is one of the very you know toughest deepest most talented conferences in the country um nebraska is is uh, geographically a difficult place to uh recruit to can be i mean just the the distance from uh your population centers where there are larger numbers of uh four and five star recruits it's it's just tougher and so uh it's been a difficult place to to sustain success in uh recent years and and there's a lot of uh reason to expect that it's going to be a difficult place to win but you know, we've we uh we've seen Matt Rule go into some tough spots and, and win before. So I am optimistic. I think that year one could be tough. Um though this is is a roster that uh was more talented than what they put on the field last year. I mean this is a top fifty team as far as roster strength goes. Um last season they were eighty first overall in team performance, seventy fourth on offense, eighty ninth on defense. Um, all of those numbers were disappointing. All of those numbers were underachieving. Uh, So if they're able to get a little bit closer, you know, to playing like the talent they have on hand, then I do think Nebraska's got a a 500 record uh, as a a possibility. and, And there might even be a little bit of room to improve on that. We'll see how the quarterback position shakes out. It sounds like Jeff Sims has stepped in the transfer from Georgia Tech uh pretty much taken hold of that position as well as a leadership position um i've noticed that nebraska's put out you know some social media uh things of their you know top performers in the weight room and off the field and things like that and jeff sims is consistently i mean i think it was like 11 out of 12 weeks or something where they did this top per, uh, top 10% thing uh jeff sims was listed uh, and the only week he wasn't was the very first one they did when there were only like half a dozen guys or something. So um, that I think is good. You know, if he's able to come in, stay healthy is the big thing. He missed uh, has missed time each of the last two years, I believe, but last year only played 52% snaps at Georgia tech, but he's experienced 24 starts under his belt uh, is known more probably for his running ability, but I do think has the potential to uh, be you know, a quality passer as well. The running back position seems like it's a fairly deep spot for Nebraska. Anthony Grant is back as a returning starter. He was suspended a little bit early on in spring practice. Hasn't been featured, I don't know, in any of those uh off season workout things. Gabe Irvin Junior, the the Uh, sophomore who missed a good chunk of last season due to injury, uh, was the the running back who was most featured. But, you know, those two guys both have experience, both are talented, uh, feel that they can be a pretty solid one-two combo. Um, Marcus Washington, who was banged up with a uh, hand injury early in fall camp, but sounds like he's working his way back, Um, would expect him to continue to be a, a starter. Billy Kemp, the fourth transferred from Virginia, he's just been a you know, solid uh, slot receiver type guy can do a variety of things to just help an offense, you know, move the sticks Uh, probably a security blanket of sorts for Jeff Sims this year. Um, And then, you know, there's, uh, I think some uh, real potential at the tight end position for Nebraska, Eric Gilbert, former five-star LSU and Georgia uh, recruit, um still needs a waiver so not quite eligible just yet but there's another really highly rated tight end recruit who uh has a ton of potential in thomas fedon um who has been only played in one game in his career but uh was you know has a recruiting rating not very far behind eric gilbert so uh he's able to to finally contribute on the field um And if both of those guys are back and able to sort of capture what made them two of the highest rated tight end recruits in the country, um, that's a real position of strength, a real area where Nebraska is going to be, you know, tough to find a a better uh, two tight ends. So um, certainly, you know, questions, injuries. Uh, at multiple positions, they are going to be relying on guys like Fedone, like Washington, like Sims, who have a little bit of injury history. Uh, Teddy Prashaksa, um, similarly, you know, missed a good chunk of last season due to injury. He was expected to be the starting left tackle. So uh, there are, you know, there are reasons to, to think that if this team stays healthy, if certain guys stay out of trouble, that the offense is going to be, uh, you know, potentially pretty good. Uh, I know a lot of people weren't super excited with the Marcus Satterfield hire as offensive coordinator, um, but uh, this team, I think, especially on the offensive side of the ball, the the talent is there for this to be a, you know, Big Ten average unit, and, and maybe with a ceiling of of being a bit better than that, better than certainly the, you know ranking of 109th in offensive returning production might indicate. The defense struggled last year. They were 89th in team performance overall. They were 103rd against the run. Similarly, you know, some injuries to, to worry about. Uh, Nick Heinrich miss, missed a, a chunk of last season. Marcus Buford has been dealing with some injuries, but you get guys like Luke Reimer back, Ty Robinson. Uh, you know uh, Malcolm Hartzog and Isaac Gifford and Quentin Newsom, pretty solid trio of of uh, returning starters in the secondary along with Buford. So, you know they're similarly to the offense are reasons I think to be optimistic that the team's going to take a little bit of a step forward. Some of it is going to be getting healthy and staying healthy, which was an issue that did impact Nebraska last year. Um, And then part of it's just, is this team going to be able to to play up to its level of potential and find a way to win games? Because, you know, last year and and really the whole Scott Frost era, they just weren't able to finish, weren't able to close. So, you know, there was the the game against Purdue where they had a 60% postgame win expectancy, lost 43 to 37 um, there were, you know, one possession losses to Minnesota, to Wisconsin. They found a way to beat Iowa at the end of last season. But, um, you know, Nebraska just more often than not hasn't hasn't found ways to win games like that. So Matt Rule, at least at the college levels, had a, a pretty strong track record of doing that, of Uh, raising the talent level on hand, which I think he has done, you know, to a degree with uh, some of the transfers coming in, Uh, being able to translate that into wins at a place like Nebraska, where right now it's it's pretty tough to do that. Um, We'll just have to see, you know, non-conference games against Colorado, Northern Illinois, and Louisiana Tech. All of those games are winnable. I think you could say that at least two of those three are probably losable as well. Drawing Michigan in the cross division uh not great, but getting Northwestern and maryland you know not not bad, two out of three ain't bad, so uh playing in the West division, there's certainly more winnable games uh more you know fewer elite teams like a Michigan like an Ohio state uh like a Penn state so uh, there's i don't know. I, I've done a lot of talking, and basically it boils down to not really sure what to expect from this Nebraska team. I think I'm personally uh, optimistic. I think, especially in the long term, I do like Matt Rule and do think that that he's uh, a good hire and and can take this team, you know, back to bowl games sooner rather than later. But I thought Scott Frost was the perfect hire. So what do I know?
0: Xavier uh your thoughts I mean like Nick said it's hard to know what expectations in Nebraska should be what are your expectations for Nebraska this year
2: yeah I think like I said earlier I think offensively this could be one of the more fun teams in the Big Ten for sure I love Jeff Sims I think uh Georgia Tech is really what hampered his ability at at quarterback um I feel like he was that you know when he got there he was expected to be a runner then they were like, "Hey, by the way, we want you to be a pocket passer." And it was like, "Look, just let the kid be an athlete. Let him figure it out." Um, and I think if you allow him to do that, you know, kind of similarly how we saw, um, uh, Kansas State really tap into Adrian Martinez this past year, I think we can see something similar from Jeff Sims. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I think this is a kid who has all the abilities to be, um, you know, just one of the more fun quarterbacks in college football to watch on a week-to-week basis. Um, he's got extremely good arm. Uh, you know, uh, can run past your linebackers and safeties. Uh, Just give the kid a chance, right? Um, I I also love Anthony Grant. Uh, You know, I I think it's been a great – it was great that they were able to keep him. Same thing with Marcus Washington. uh, Being able to keep those guys for an offense that, once again, under Matt Rule is going to be expansive. Um, I think it's going to be another one of those offenses that it's going to take a year before we really see it hit its peak. And obviously we're going to have to see new guys come in and possibly running back and wide receiver as uh, Washington and Grant both only have one year of that eligibility left. Um, but once again, it's going to be fun. It, that, if anything else, it's going to be fun. I can tell you that much. Um, I think for a lot of Nebraska fans, the last couple of years has just not been fun. And I, I think more so than just on the field from a winning perspective, uh, but obviously from an expectations perspective as well. Like you're, you're looking at a roster, you're looking at a team and a university who holds itself to a high standard and got, you know, and, and I mean this in a sincere, w- in, a, in a sincere way, got what they thought was, you know, their Kirby smart, their golden boy, their, their, their guy who was going to take them to the next level. um, Also, uh, you know, ha- had done so as a player and is going, was going to do so as a coach. Um And it just didn't pan out, you know, even when, you know, you know, and you could tell at, at the slightest bit of progression, they gave the guy an extension. I mean, that, that tells you anything that you need to know about the belief that they had in Frost. And it just didn't pan out that way. I think now with rule, you're getting a guy who's going to be hungry, a guy who, I mean, let's be honest, got embarrassed at the next level, um, you know, not just on the field, but I think off the field. A lot of people just were like, yo, you're not cut out for this kid. Um, it has it has a point to prove um, coming back to college football. Uh, the, you know, I, I think it's always funny when people are like, can he do it? And I'm like, well, I mean, he he did it before, you know, at a, at a similarly sized university. Give him a couple of years. Not, let's not expect. I think more. it's more of how ha- has he
0: lost it? And, I, and, I, I mean, know what
2: it is. you know, yeah, and I understand that the NFL can, you know, shoot you know, up and spit you out. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I also remember Nick Saban being a horrible NFL coach. And yep. Nobody's talking about what he's like now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think realistically, give him a couple of years. I think he's walking into a defense. that I think that's going to surprise some folks. Uh, I think their secondary, their, their team defensively is, is extremely senior laden. That shit helped them out um, in some respects. I mean, heck, they've got st- senior starters at every position. Um, on the defense, um, and they've got four in the secondary. Uh, so I think that that should help, help him out in particular. Um, and you know, getting this team back to at the very least competitiveness in year one and their schedule, like Nick alluded to, should help them out as well. I, I don't see why this team couldn't very well start the year off, you know, four and one, uh, you know, four and two, uh, you know, three and three at its absolute worst. Um, and that's really if you just, you know, I don't know, don't show up against Colorado. I, I don't see that happening, but. Once again, I, I think this team can make a bowl game in year one under Matt rule, which if they do, I I think realistically Nebraska fans would be ecstatic about that. And that's where their expectations should be. You know, this has been a long time since Tim Frazier and, and company, you know, donned uniform. I think the expectations need to change a little bit as understanding that what we need to do more than anything in Nebraska at this point is to get relevant before or, or to try to get competitive as the conference continues to add on teams. Look, you know, USC and UCLA are walking into your conference next year. Uh, it looks like Washington and Oregon could be running into your conference next year. If y'all don't get it right, you're going to end up being in the basement. And so right now it's about getting back to being a consistent bowl outfit. And then from there, push on. But I, the years of expecting Nebraska to be anywhere near, you know, a 9-10 time matchup game, I think is over into the foreseeable future. But they should make a bowl game next year for sure. All right, let's move
0: over to Illinois,
2: who finished eight and five
0: last season. Six and a half is their DK win total. We are just slightly under that six and a half win total. Uh, but Nick, for Illinois, they ranked number two in defensive returning production last season. but lost a lot of talent to the NFL, especially in the secondary. The Illini must also replace their NFL running back and starting QB. Can Brett Bielema's squad avoid a free fall and stay competitive in the Big Ten?
1: I do think that that they will avoid a free fall, but I think this is probably going to be a little bit of a regrouping year. Um, Rebioma I think had a uh plan that that came together quite well. his uh, sort of offensive philosophy uh really program philosophy uh meshed well with the talent that he inherited from. Lovie Smith and and you know over the course of two years turned this into a really solid team a tough team to beat that um you know at the beginning of last year just just got off to uh, a really really incredible start I think that the finish losing four out of five to in the year um really kind of uh sort of sort of I don't know uh, not necessarily misleading because only one of those games, the, the game against Michigan, which they really probably should have won. Uh, that was the only one where they had a postgame win expectancy of greater than 50% to or 64.1% according to Bill Connolly to, to win that Michigan game and, and ended up losing it. But um, of those four losses still, you know, that, that, I think this was a better team than you might expect better than the eight and five, overall record, five and four in in Big Ten play. I was pretty impressed with Illinois. You mentioned the number two ranking in team performance defensively. Uh, They were number three against the pass, number nine against the run. But um, the secondary in particular is is, uh, hit hard with departures and and NFL talent, elite uh, players included. But they're still – You know, I I think uh, a pretty solid core, especially in the front seven. I mean, Drazon Newton is one of the very best defensive linemen in college football. We mentioned how we took the 100 cap off of our uh, individual player ratings to kind of differentiate who the best of the best are. Uh, And Drazon Newton, who put up 21 production points last year, uh, is now a 116 in our VGR individual player rating. So uh, just a, uh, an incredibly productive defensive lineman. He's back along with Keith Randolph up front. Gabe Jokas, uh started as a true freshman last year, outside linebacker, pass rusher, uh, really impressed with what he was able to do. Um, on the other side, you've got Seth Coleman, who was above a 100 rated player with double digit uh, production points last season. So, I mean, the, the, the front seven, uh, really, I guess, front six, they're more of a 3-3-5. Three, three, but, you know, that that first two levels of the defense is going to be about as good as as you could hope for. Um, I mean, they're 16th in our D-line strength ratings. They're 21st at linebacker, or excuse me, 24th at linebacker. Uh, but both of those groups, you know, top half uh, to top third in the uh, Big Ten. It's just the rest of really the roster, um, you know, the, the secondary goes from being one of the very best in college football to right now on paper, uh, the lowest rated in our position strength uh, numbers in the Big Ten, 88th nationally. Um, the quarterback position is in the triple digits nationally. And I know there's reason to be optimistic about Lou Altmeyer, who is uh, projected to be the starter. There's also a little depth there because John Paddock was a starter at Ball State in the Mac. Um, But... Even with with those two guys coming in, uh, you know the the quarterback position strength numbers. They're 101st nationally, 12th in the Big Ten. The running back position I think has potential. I really liked what I saw out of Josh McCray as a true freshman in 2021. He missed a, most of last season due to injury. Uh, Reggie Love III was you know kind of the the uh, top guy behind uh, Brown last season, but those two should be a pretty solid one-two combo, but, you know, both relatively unproven and, and certainly, uh, you know, when you when you talk about a, a losing an NFL caliber running back and All-American caliber running back, um, understandable to, to expect, maybe take a little bit of a step back in production at that position. Uh, but Isaiah Williams, big play receiver, exciting playmaker with the ball in his hands. Pat Bryan, I think, emerged last year as a, uh, you know, bigger target receiver. Uh, Tip Ryman had a pretty uh, pretty decent uh, level of production at the tight end position, kind of a surprise there. And then the offensive line should be, at least as far as the offense goes, a, a, a position of strength. They don't grade out particularly well, you know, roster talent-wise, roster strength-wise, um, compared to their Big Ten rivals. But uh, that unit ranking, you know, 61st nationally, 12th in the Big Ten, believe it or not, is is uh, the second highest rated uh, offensive position group just behind the wide receiver position where they're 59th overall and, and 10th in the Big Ten. But uh, still, I think that, you know, Brett Bielema's philosophy, as I mentioned, sort of uh, play to the strengths on hand. And at Illinois, that could be, maybe should be, uh, running the football. And it seems like to me, you know, especially if McRae is able to, to uh, recapture what looked like was going to be a, a all-star caliber or, or, you know, all big 10 uh, caliber level of talent when he was a true freshman at 6'1", 235 uh, ran violently. Um, you know, I, I think that they could lean into that sort of, Uh, grind it out, run the football, and then try to hit a a big play down the field where Luke Altmaier, you know, that is a strength of his is is, uh, a deep passing and and taking advantage of the speed of guys like Isaiah Williams and the size of Pat Bryant. You know, I I could talk myself into this being a good defense again, Uh, probably not elite, but a good defense. And then, you know, an offense that, that built on running the football and maybe some play action deep shots, uh, could be competitive again, but um, you know, you, you laid it out—the the talent that they lost in the secondary, the fact that they lost their best player on offense, in addition to uh, their starting quarterback—seems to me like you know, there's there's some regrouping to do. So I do think that there's a path to a bowl game. Um, it's kind of a, a sneaky tough non-conference slate: Toledo at Kansas and then home against FAU, all those teams are, are, I mean, beatable, but I think all those teams, all those games are also mm-hmm. losable quite honestly uh, getting Penn state in week three, even though it's at home, not necessarily a great draw. Uh, if Illinois stumbles a little bit to like a two and two start, it's probably going to be tough to, to make a bowl game, but um, they're able to, you know, start out three and one. Um it's it's certainly certainly still possible. Uh getting Northwestern in a crossover, you know, rivalry game, a state rivalry game. That's not a crossover, I'm sorry. I I said the wrong thing there. Um you know, getting Maryland in a crossover, getting Indiana in the crossover, uh, that's better. That helps that helps uh even out that that Purdue or excuse me that, that Penn State draw. But um there's certainly a lot of winnable games. I don't have Illinois Currently projected as a double-digit underdog in any game, um, but there are quite a few toss-ups and quite a few uh, just tough, tough matchups going to Minnesota, going to Iowa. Both of those in November, you know that's that's not a, a great draw. Um, playing uh, what could be a, a really talented Maryland offense on the road, even though that's a, a decent draw, pardon me, out of the East. Um, that's still going to be a a tough spot and and a difficult game to to win. So uh, there's a a pretty wide range of outcomes, I think, for Illinois. I think they could potentially put up the same type of uh, one loss record if if a few breaks go their way. But I could also see this team coming up short of a bowl game, uh, especially if some of those tricky – uh, non-conference opponents and, and some of those, you know, difficult uh, road trips um, don't pan out as well. So uh, tif- difficult team to, to project, but I, I think that this team in the long run, I, I like what I saw last year. I like some of the pieces that are back this year. It's just uh, this year in particular, find a way to get to six wins and and avoid that you know, big drop-off, uh, would be would be a win for, for, for this program.
0: Javier, what do you think of Illinois? Do you think that uh, it's just too much for them to overcome here, or do you think they can get it done and, you know, be a contender again?
2: I feel like expecting that again, what, what they were able to replicate or being able to uh, do what they did last year or replicate what they did last year is going to be asking a lot. Um, that was a team last year that I think – people really didn't fully grasp how dominant that defense could be last year at times. Right. Uh, Not just from, from Devin Weatherspoon, but that entire secondary at times was just completely locked down. Um, You know, it was, it was one thing to watch them, you know, play against, you know, Purdue's and, you know, things of that nature. But the way that they turned Michigan into a one dimensional offense was extremely impressive. And and like Dick alluded to, they should have won that ball game, but like, you know, I'm thinking about you know what they act, what what they honestly could look like this year, and I feel like ball control, ball control is still going to be a part of the Brett Bielema system. Was at Wisconsin for all those years. I feel like that's not that's maybe never going to change <laughs> as long as Brett Bielema is your coach. Uh, but once again, that allows the defense to kind of just do what they're supposed to do. You know, and you know, you know, in, in the case of last year's team, they were stifling. They they were had a secondary that could really shut down most of the country. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that obviously gave their defensive line a ton of, uh, you know, attempts to attack the quarterback and create pressure um, with their linebackers to force mismatches and things of that nature. Uh, But this year, when I I look at this year's Illinois team, I look at a team that, at least from an offensive perspective, I go, maybe they'll pass the ball a little bit more. They've got the talent to do so. Uh, They've got the wide receivers on the outside to really push the field a little bit, um, at the very least, you know, um, spread the field a little bit. Um, and may, maybe we do see a, a different Brett Bielema system or, or, you know, maybe a little bit more of a – how do I best put this? Uh, an, an advanced, uh, progressed Brett Bielema system that, that we see, uh, you know, a, a quarterback attempt 20, 30, pass, you know, 30 passes a day or a game. Maybe just going out – it may be going out on a limb there. But I, I think realistically there's still going to be a team that leans on its defense to ultimately propel itself to that next level. You know, it's one thing for them to do it like I said, against, you know, the Toledos on their schedule, the FAUs, the Purdue's, but being able to, you know, they they have a relatively easy schedule uh, this year. Um, So, you know, if they were able to replicate what they did last year, you'll get probably a 10-win ball club, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, But I I think eight wins is is a fair assessment for this team going into this year. Um, You know, at the absolute max for me, I just, you know, Luke Allmire is a question mark for me going into this year. The offense or whether or not, you know, they're going to be able to turn that offense into, you know, bring that offense into the 21st century is obviously a question mark for me. And even though the defense is going to still be good in the linebacker room, in the defensive line room, that secondary is going to be replacing, what, a top five corner and a safety that I think honestly could have been a first round draft pick had he had any steam going into the year, uh, but had none you know, or have very little steam coming into the year. And so I think realistically, you're looking at a guy, you know, um, or looking at a team that's going to just have to replace a little bit too much, um, in my opinion, for them to to replicate exactly what they were last year. And I know that the record might look the same, but I don't think that necessarily the the, the way in which they did it, um, as far as the dominance is concerned, is going to look anywhere near that.
0: All right. Let's move over to Maryland and uh, their record last season was 8-5. and five. DK's got the current win total at 7. We are over the 7. Nick, thanks to a manageable schedule and a talented offense, expectations are relatively high for the Terps this year. Can we trust Maryland, and specifically the new OC duel of Josh Gaddis and Kevin Sumlin, to live up to those expectations?
1: This year, on paper, looks like... Um, everything is sort of coming together this needs to be the year for Maryland I mean eight and five last year you know right around 500 uh, in, in their big ten record was solid uh, the roster strength currently what they've got coming back you know didn't didn't lose a time they aren't on the extreme end on uh, you know uh, either positive or negatively as far as returning production goes they're 54th Overall, 54th on offense, 73rd on defense. But you've got a quarterback to build around. Talia Tonga-Vailoa um, is, uh, in his final year of eligibility, has been productive, has unfortunately missed some time with injuries, but, um, you know, is is a, a solid Big Ten caliber quarterback who I think does have the potential to put together a really good year. His Receiving core has a couple of new faces in them. I'm excited uh, about both Caden Prather, the transfer from West Virginia at 6'4", 200-plus. Uh, I, I think is, is, you know, from a pure talent standpoint, um, has, has the potential to uh, really step in and, and be a playmaker. And then Tyrese Chambers is a guy who we've seen transfer a couple of times. Most recently was at FIU. Prior to that, it was at the FCS level, but has been incredibly productive in, in spurts. Uh, he is not quite as physically imposing as Prather, but, you know, does have big time playmaking ability. have seen him make big plays. Uh, we just haven't quite seen it at, you know, the power five level yet. Uh, so those two guys, you, you mix in with Deshaun Jones, who's a, re- uh, a returning starter. Um, some talented guys who haven't quite put it together as far as, um, you know, really producing on the field or really getting big time playing time, but Octavian Smith, uh, Shalik Knotts, Ty Felton, even uh, all those guys, I think have the potential to, to make this a pretty deep wide receiver group for Talia Tungabailo. And then Roman Hemby emerged as a, a redshirt freshman last year, had a really, really solid, Season so at the offensive skill position I failed to mention Corey Davis who's uh, one of the more productive and and really kind of versatile tight ends as well not really built like a uh, you know he's definitely not the six five two fifty tight end listed at six two two twenty but uh, has wide receiver skills and and can provide some value at, at that position uh, you know I, I think all the pieces are there for Maryland to Uh, be a difficult offense to defend. Um, The situation at at play caller gives me some pause. You mentioned, you know, do we trust this offensive coordinator duo? Uh, Josh Gaddis just two years ago was the Frank Broyles award winner for, you know, top uh, assistant coach in college football. However, when he left to go to Miami, um, there weren't a whole lot of Michigan fans who were super sad about that. And then it turned out to, really not be uh, a good mix uh, in Miami that unit struggled and Gaddis was was let go Kevin Sumlin it's been quite a while since he's had uh, an offense to to really get excited about um, didn't work out at Arizona uh, has since bounced around a little bit wasn't even the XFL or USFL or both something I'm not sure um but uh, you know it wasn't that long ago when when uh my my wonderful co-hosts on this pod were calling for killing someone uh to be fired you know multiple multiple years before it ended up working out that way at at Arizona so um it's uh it's a little bit of a a question mark because I do think we were ahead of the curve on that by the way you were you were yeah um but no you know it, it 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 wasn't that long ago when, one, Mike Loxley, the head coach at Maryland, was considered uh, one of the best offensive minds in, in college football. Um, he still, of course, I think will be involved in, in uh, putting this offense together. But wasn't that long ago that Josh Gaddis um, was considered the best Uh, offensive or, or, you know, assistant coach in college football. And then Kevin Sumlin's, you look, it's been a while, like I mentioned, but look back through his history has had some units that really, really uh, produced at a high level. So how will it all come together? Um, I think is a little bit of a question, but I do think that there's plenty of individual pieces to be excited about and, and the potential for them all to to work together to become a a pretty solid unit. Um, Maryland, I think, did underachieve a little bit last season on the offensive side of the ball. They were 52nd in team performance offensively overall. They were 58th passing, 59th rushing. Um, But uh, the potential to me is there for this to be a top 40, maybe even a top 30 uh, level offense. And then when you mix that together with a defense that was better than – I think most of us remember um, they ranked 43rd in overall defensive team performance. They were top 20 against the pass. You look at some stats kind of stick out as, as being really pretty good. They were 26 in yards per play allowed against FBS opponents They are 15th in yards per pass attempt. They were 31st in EPA per play. Um, that's, you know, you can do that again uh, and, and get an offense that takes a little bit of a step forward. Maryland's going to be, a tough team to beat. And the schedule really does set up pretty well, uh, especially to get off to a strong start. Uh, Towson, an FCS opponent at home, Charlotte, who's a completely new team coming off a bad season last year at home in week two, Virginia, uh, one of the lower rated Power Five uh, teams in the country coming into the season. Michigan State on the road to open Big Ten play, but we certainly know that they're beatable. And then Indiana, uh, as we've discussed, has some similar questions. Five-no-start is certainly possible. Four and one, pretty good chance, I think. Um, so, you know, before before going to play Ohio State, that's certainly going to be tough. But um, there are winnable games in the back half of the schedule as well. Home date against Illinois. Northwestern on the road after a bye week, uh, Nebraska, Rutgers. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a path uh, certainly to seven or eight wins, uh, especially if we see the the defense, which does have to rebuild its defensive line, um, but returns a good chunk of the back seven, back eight really, um, with guys like Jason Barum uh, you know, uh, Bo Braid had a big year last year, really productive, uh, defensive back, um, you get an incoming transfer and in Jaquan Shepard, who, uh, I think has the, the potential to, you know, play at a, a high level in the big 10, uh, Tarheep's still of course there and, and has, has, uh, uh, good potential had a big year in, uh, 2021, see how he can, you know, come back and, and perform, this season so it's uh the, the the margins are probably slim for maryland as they often are um difficult schedule against uh the interdivision opponents drawing both ohio state and michigan and penn state as always um but get two of those three at home i mean i don't know there's there's the potential if if uh the offense can reach its potential um, if the uh, you know the the collective brain power in that offensive uh, meeting room if we get the best out of that group you know because there have been some really productive offenses that Mike Loxley's been a part of that uh, Josh Gaddis has been a part of that Kevin Sumlin's been a part of the potential is there for Maryland to to put it together and be a, you know, eight win, uh, maybe even if if you get a couple of breaks, nine win team. Um, But uh, they are also a difficult team to trust sometimes. So uh, we're over the seven, just barely. Uh, My level of confidence is not super high, but uh, with a manageable schedule and with, some pieces that I really do like, especially on the offensive side of the ball. um, I don't hate it either. Xavier, your thoughts
0: on Maryland for this season. Do you think that uh, the offense can carry them and uh, push them up the board? Or is this about what we should expect?
2: I I couldn't agree more with Nick. I just feel like this team for the last couple of years has been so offense heavy. And if this team is going to go anywhere, it's going to be due to their offense, but that also creates a ceiling. Um, You know, uh, we talk about a team that at one point had one of the better wide receiver tandems in the country um, and Dante Demas um, and Raheem Jarrett. Right. And they were only able to do so much because defensively, they just have not been able to figure out a way to stop teams on a consistent basis where, you know, you look at, like I said, you look at, you know, their offense, you're like, okay, they have one of the better offenses in the country. Talia, you know, has his, good, has his bad weeks for sure. Uh, but Tim, you know, typically comes out having more good weeks than bad. Uh, even though, you know, his, his bad sometimes can be rather just audaciously bad. Um, a lot of good bow, bad bow vibes from Talia. Um, you know, but you, you, once again, you look at what this team should be just, you know, blatantly honest with with an offense that they have, and they just shouldn't be as inconsistent as what they are, what they have been. Uh, if they can figure out a defense that can, can consistently get stops, or, you know, even if they're a bend-don't-break defense and they hold most teams to three, I think you could even find yourself being okay with that as a Maryland fan, but realistically, the, the offense just doesn't or the defense just doesn't do enough for me to to give me an idea that they're gonna you know all of a sudden turn this you know go from being a seven or eight win ball club to you know nine ten wins um, and take that leap. Until they get a defense, it just won't happen. Uh, now, from I will be honest, I'm excited to see what Talia does in his last year of eligibility. Uh, for me, he's one of those guys who kind of always is right around the conversation of, you know, what, what you know, how good can he be? Um, I think this year we might see the best version of Talia. Um I, I really hope so. I think he's got extremely, I think he's extremely talented. Uh, you know, obviously he gets compared to his brother maybe too much for me, but I think what he's done at Maryland so far, you know, has been, has been nothing, nothing short of, you know, uh, you know, excellent. And, and we'll look back at his career and go, kid had a really solid career at Maryland. Um, And so I think, you know, I'm comfortable saying eight wins. Their schedule doesn't lend me to think that it's going to be too hellacious. Um, Ohio State is really their hardest test in the first half of the year, obviously. Um, And they don't really have too many, you know, pitfalls here. And obviously they get Michigan, Penn State and Ohio State. But outside of that, I'm not necessarily, you know, shuddering at the rest of their schedule um, as far as, you know, uh, from a talent basis. So they should be able to handle business. Um, you know, if you take just those three losses, that gives them nine wins. That, that That's an improvement on last season. But we all know Maryland, they're going to pick up a loss somewhere that doesn't make any sense. Uh, unfortunately, that's kind of been something that they do. That's why they finished 4-5 and five in the Big Ten last year, even with an 8-5 and five record. Um, they're going to pick up a loss, whether that's Michigan State week four, uh, whether that's, you know, Nebraska week 10, they're just going to, they're going to slip up. They're not going to come to play, or it's going to be one of those Talia games where he throws, you know, two inexplicable interceptions that just ultimately, you know, you know, dooms his team to a, to a loss. Uh, you know, even though he he would have been pretty solid all year. So give me eight wins. That's as high as I feel like I'm comfortable going with them just because I don't see them necessarily pushing on into that nine, 10 win category. But if the defense can come around and become, you know, and give them something week in and week out, um, uh, you know when they need to. You know when the offense isn't going. You know a mi- you know a thousand miles a minute. Then hey, they might be able to actually eclipse the double digit plateau. Um, and it would not all too surprising.
0: All right, let's go over to number 33, Minnesota. Last season, nine and four. Uh, the DK win total for them is seven. We have them at uh, seven and five, but just slightly under that total of seven and in- Nick four the Golden Gophers are ranked number 83 in returning offensive production, number 81 on defense, and returns to seven full-time starters combined on both offense and defense from last season. They, but they still appear to be in the mix for the West Division title. Is a, a, is a schedule that ranks at the third toughest in the country too much to overcome in this title race for the
1: Golden Gophers? I, I think it might be. Um, Minnesota you know i i i understand why our projections are are fairly positive but i understand why there are some folks out there that, that think that this team is uh built to make a run at, at the division title they're they're probably you know a tier behind wisconsin and iowa uh but last year had a top 20 defense uh consistently put up good numbers running the football. I think there's some reason for optimism in the passing game as well. Elijah Spencer, was, one, impressed with what he did at Charlotte, two, uh, impressed with what he did for Minnesota this spring. And the spring game looked really, really good. Corey Crooms, Jr., transfer also from uh, Western Michigan, has been productive in the past. And then Chris Altman Bell coming back, sounds like still a little, uh, you know, somewhat limited by injury, the injury that cost him uh, most of last season, but uh, is uh, back, you know, in the mix as well. And then Daniel Jackson, returning starter, pretty talented uh, receiver who produced at times last season. That That is a, a unit that should be really, really strong, actually. Uh, the wide receiver group at, at Minnesota ranks in our position strength ratings as the second best in the Big Ten top 20 nationally, and you pair that with a tight end group led by uh, Brevin Spanford that, that's the top 20 unit nationally as well. So um, there are uh, some some pieces, I think, really to work with on offense. We'll see if Sean Tyler, the productive also, uh, you know, along with Crooms as a transfer from Western Michigan, um, a little bit smaller than what we're used to seeing at the running back position at Minnesota, but he's been productive. Forty-two games played in his career, twenty-seven starts. Uh, will he be a every-down type back? If not, there's some depth there with guys like Bryce Williams, Zach Evans, uh, talented true freshman. A lot of people are excited about in Darius Taylor. I feel pretty confident that, that Minnesota is going to be able to figure it out um, at the offensive skill positions. And then Ethan Kelly uh, Gamanis my apologies, uh, for, for pronunciation there, but, um, you know, one of the higher rated quarterback recruits that have come through Minnesota and he got some, uh, experience last season, uh, started five games and, and looks like a, a, a real, uh, solid quarterback to build around for, for this program. It's just, you know, we'll see if he's able to, to put it together, uh, as a third year sophomore, but, um, a, you know An offensive line that they are rebuilding the interior of, but a, a unit that really, really excelled last season, sixth and O-line performance. Um, there's a lot to like uh, about the group on, on the offensive side of the ball. They play to their strengths, very methodical. They were 129th in offensive pace last season, just really leaned on Muhammad Ibrahim. Um, we'll see if they're able to do that this year with with that group of running backs, or if they try to open it up a little bit with with that talented group of of receivers, I think that's that's the main question for me. It's not whether the offense will be good; it's just you know what uh how will they choose to attack uh opposing defenses and, and you know will will they uh play into what look to be their biggest strengths by by you know sort of opening up Uh, the offense, uh, throwing the football a a bit more. Um, I'm I'm curious to see. But defensively, uh, similar level of experience, some key pieces to build around, particularly in the secondary, guys like Tyler Newman, who is an all-conference caliber performer, uh, Justin Wally, and then up front, Kyler Ball, Jalen Logan Redding uh, are back. Uh, Ja Joyner wasn't a starter, a full-time starter like those other two, but was uh, pretty productive. He and Danny Stigro both um, move into, you know, starting spots we would expect and, and should continue to be just as productive, if not more. And then, you know, the guys like uh, Cody Lindenberg, who also similarly played a lot but wasn't a, a, a full-time starter, was productive, bring in a productive transfer in Ryan Ryan Seelig and in the secondary, Jack Anderson, Tyler Bride, Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to see because on paper, it all kind of works. It all looks like uh, this is a team that, that should uh, be able to compete and, and, you know, could be a real factor in that big 10 West title race. I do think they're capable of beating both Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, They are underdogs in both of those games, but by, you know, a field goal or, or, you know, four points or less in in both games. Uh, Getting both Michigan and Ohio State as crossover opponents in in the East doesn't do them any favors. Kind of limits the error of margin in those division uh, games. But I don't know. this, This is going to be a tough team to beat, even though there are plenty of, you know, new faces in the starting lineup and guys that they're going to be leaning on that uh, aren't super experienced or aren't, uh, you know, returning starters from, from last year's team, there are few real uh, holes. There are a few real just obvious question marks. Um, I probably should have made a little bit more of a, a you know, a little bit of a bigger deal about uh, the replacements they're looking to on the offensive line, but they've got, you know, probably seniors uh, filling in, in in all those spots. So, you know, that, again, on paper, looks, looks okay, you know, not, not, uh, not the worst. Um, so it's a tricky team to, to fully get my head around because for most uh, teams that are going to be relying on, on so many new starters, so many new uh, incoming transfers, I would be a little more pessimistic but I, I think that this Minnesota team, even though the strength of schedule is up there, I think they're gonna be uh in the mix and i and I know our numbers don't necessarily love them as you mentioned under under seven uh I think they're probably better than that I think they're better than than what our numbers currently say and and uh i I kind of wish we were on on the over here um but tough schedule and and you know. Things don't always come together like we think they will on paper, uh, so it could work out for us but but i I feel like this Minnesota team's a a, a sneaky big Ten west you know title contender
0: uh, Xavier, what do you think about Minnesota? Do you think they're a sneaky big West title contender like Nick does, or do you think maybe we have them a little too high here?
2: Yeah, so I think the, the question that has to be answered for me when it comes to Minnesota is obviously the offense. Uh, Mo Ibrahim gone, Uh, obviously Tanner Morgan is out the door. Um, Can they replicate what that offense would have been, you know, if everybody was healthy, right? I think for the last couple of years, we talked about Minnesota being that close uh, to to winning the Big Ten West, and a lot of that had to do with the health. Um, So if they can show me that the offense doesn't miss a beat or, you know, takes, you uh, you know, a small step back with the loss of both of those talented guys, not just from talent, but like we talked about in the Big 12 episode, a couple of, you know, a couple of episodes ago, with uh, with Iowa State, sometimes just having the same face there uh, offers a, a bit of confidence and a bit of comfortability with the team as a whole, not just necessarily uh, with the offense. So they've got to show me that the offense is obviously, you know, going to be able to take that, you know, that step um, or or not regress as much as I believe that they might. I um, love Chris Altmanbill. bell think he's one of the more underrated receivers in college football. Um, I, I think, you know, once again, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be productive um, Can the rest of the receiving core do that. Uh, bringing in two transfers that obviously are going to start on the defensive end. I think defensively, they're going to have to lean on them a little bit more this year. They did bring in their fair share transfers as well. Uh, But I think this is where they're going to have to hang their hat. The defensive line brings back uh, a senior lane defensive line that, you know, most of them have had 75% or more of the snaps uh, from last year. Uh, So I think this is where they might have the, you know, you know, really, you know, hang their hat, at least at the beginning of the year while we wait, until the offense comes around. Uh, their their schedule is, is, you know, doesn't necessarily lend their offense too much time to kind of just figure it out and make its own mistakes. They get Nebraska and Eastern Michigan, and after that, they kind of, you know, they're kind of just going from there. Uh, barring one week against Northwestern, uh, they do see North Carolina. Louisiana has regressed a little bit since Billy Napier has left, but it's not complete regression. Uh, then you're going to see Michigan, obviously. I um, mean, the second half of that schedule, the second, you know, after their bye week, It's really going to where they're going to have to either win the Big Ten West or not. Um, You know, they see Iowa, they see Illinois, they see Purdue. um, And I I think realistically, this should be a team that wins eight games. Um, So I'm going to go with the over just based off of their schedule and the talent profile. Uh, At the end of the day, they're still one of the more talented teams in the Big Ten West, and I don't see why they can't. It would have to be a disaster class on the offensive side of the ball, whether the quarterback situation just really was that bad or, you know, just once again, health gets in the way for them not to be able to reach that 8-1 uh, precipice.
0: All right, let's move on up here, and we are going to Iowa coming in at 31. Last season, 8-5. and five. Their DK win total is 8. We have them just slightly under that 8. Nick, last year for Iowa, uh, the number three ranked defense, they are the number uh, three in defensive returning production, but 130th on offense, which might be good. Uh, because they were pretty bad on offense last year. But despite the return of O.C. Bryan uh, Farns, there is optimism the Hawkeyes will score enough to compete in the West. Can Iowa get past Wisconsin
1: to make it to Indianapolis this year? My fault. I set you up with a typo there. Number three in team performance, not returning. Ah, uh, team, team 130 performance. 130 on offense uh, in, in team performance last year. So uh, my fault. But, yeah, Iowa, I mean, we know the story, right? the, the offense was ugly. Uh, you look uh, statistic by statistic. I mean, it's triple digits across
0: the board Nowhere to go, but
1: up nowhere to go, but up exactly. And, and so, you know, Brian France being back much to uh, I think Iowa fans chagrin and, and also plenty of jokes out there with the, the contract stipulation and points per game that they need. Um, there's reason to think that they will, uh take a step forward I mean as you said (laughs) nowhere to go but up but um bringing in Cade McNamara who has 16 career starts in the Big Ten uh has won a lot of games uh Michigan you know won uh the quarterback job over guys like Joe Milton and J.J. McCarthy um missed most of last season with injury um but also probably, you know, maybe, maybe even if he was healthy, was eventually going to uh, concede that job to McCarthy, but um, uh, something to build around. I mean, he's, he, it's not that, that McNamara is uh, the most exciting quarterback or, um, uh, you know, a dynamic playmaker or anything like that, but he probably raises the floor of, of this unit and then mix in, you know, what, sh- what could be a, a decent uh running game. I, I do like Caleb Johnson. Uh we saw some production from him as a true freshman last season. Expect that he'll be able to to take over as the full time guy uh this year. They brought in, you know, a former uh, near five star recruit in Caleb Brown, retro freshman from Ohio State. Um, Nico Reggiani's a, a, a you know experienced Receiver Luke Lachey at tight end. He and Eric All are, you know, one of the better uh, tight end duos, certainly in the Big Ten, maybe the country. I mean, that that particular uh, duo leads a a unit that ranks top twenty in our position strength numbers nationally uh, at the tight end position. So certainly something I think to to build around. Uh, If you get the quarterback position figured out, get a couple of playmakers at receiver and tight end, the offensive line on paper look, looks quite good. Uh, statistically last year, they graded out poorly, incredibly poorly, 131st in O-line performance last season, but five returning starters are back. You add in a couple of potential starters in Rusty Fett, who, who started at uh, Miami of Ohio, 34 games started in his career. Dejon Parker was a starter uh, at the Division II level. Um, so, you know, experience, uh, and, and, uh, again, another <laughs> nowhere to go, but up, right. They were dead last in, in O-line performance, uh, last season and everybody's back. So, um, hopefully if you're an Iowa fan, we'll see a little more out of that unit. Defensively, I mean, you could say, I guess, nowhere to go, but down just about, I mean, they were number one against the pass in our team performance, Defensive numbers last year, third overall, third against the run. Um, Joe Evans, Cooper DeJean, both of those guys, all Big Ten, uh, incredibly productive players. Joe Evans is a 103 in our VGR ratings. Uh, DeJean's a, a 98. Uh, had one of the best, I mean, All-American type season last year, right? Uh, they do add a, a productive transfer. Nick Jackson, who is an all ACC performer at Virginia, last year was limited. Uh, a, a bit, but has has been really productive in the past. So, um, you know, there's there's reason to think that this Iowa defense, it, it's tough to be a a top three uh, defense. Um, it, it you know that doesn't happen very often. Obviously, it's actually only happened once in the last uh, six seasons that that we've got here for uh, Iowa as far as our team performance numbers go. But the the track record of consistently solid top 20 you know maybe top 10 level defense is is there and and i think that there's enough returning including the coaching staff uh but enough returning you know talent wise and experience wise on on uh that side of the football to expect that we won't see a huge drop off so if if iowa plays top 10 top 15 level defense and then plays top 100 Offense. Um, this is a team that can win the Big Ten West. Uh, the schedule sets up pretty well, winnable games in the non-conference, starting with Utah State, Iowa State, Western Michigan. Uh, they'll be tested by the Utah State offense. Iowa State's always going to be a tough game on the road, even with the uh, you know uncertainty surrounding that program right now. Getting Penn State in the Big Ten opener on the road is, is a tough draw, but uh, Michigan State and Rutgers as the other uh, cross-division opponents is, is, uh, you know, pretty positive, I'd say. So um, there are few obvious losses, even that Penn State game, which we do have Penn State favored by double digits. Iowa, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count them out in that game. Uh, We do have them as an underdog at Wisconsin, they play Wisconsin and Minnesota back to back. That's not necessarily an ideal draw. Uh, but uh, they're favored by a little less than a field goal, but but favored at home against Minnesota. And then, you know, single-digit underdog on the road at Wisconsin. So uh, this team, I think, has a pretty wide range of outcomes. If the offense continues to struggle mightily, then there are probably a lot more losable games on this schedule uh you know i you know could utah state put together a couple of big plays and find a way to knock off iowa in week one yeah potentially is that iowa state game an obvious win no it's not um so you know there there aren't a you know there aren't seven or eight uh, automatic wins on the schedule but there are seven or eight probably should wins And then up to maybe 10 or even 11 winnable games, Um, it's just whether or not, you know, or or how much, I should say, improvement we see on the offensive side of the ball. And then how close to that elite defense that we've seen in recent years from Iowa, uh, how, how close to that can they perform again this year? Because Iowa, as always, is going to be a very, very difficult team to beat week in and week out. Um, but they've got enough questions on the offensive side of the ball still that uh, they're not an obvious slam dunk as as the Big Ten West favorite.
0: Xavier, do you think Iowa can have the offense meet halfway with the defense and become a real contender here? What are your thoughts on uh, this Iowa squad?
2: I mean, if if Iowa had an offense in the last three seasons, we might be talking about a team that's won the Big Ten maybe once. In the last three seasons, I mean, this is just how bad that offense has been. Um, K McNamara, obviously, is going to give them, you know, uh, I think a an, uh, an, a huge upgrade at the quarterback position, just going to be because the guy can move. I've been on this podcast several times, you know, when we were talking about Spencer uh, Spencer Petros and talking about his inability to move at all. Um, and, seemingly, and seemingly that offense just could not get going with him at the quarterback position, whether because, you know, he didn't have the, you know, good enough pocket or the run game wasn't consistent enough or maybe just because his quarterback play wasn't good enough. I think K McNamara is a bona fide starter in college football. Um yes, he lost out his job to J J McCarthy, but that was that was a a back and forth affair up until a year ago, you know, where, where who knew who the actual starting quarterback in Michigan was Michigan was gonna be until, you know, obviously J.J. McCarthy kinda solidifies himself um in that job. so I think K is gonna give them a huge boost there. Yeah, so if Iowa can genuinely just put together an offense that stretches the field whatsoever. I think you're looking at a team that realistically can make the Big Ten championship game this year. Um, You know, I think what's been so bad about Iowa's offense on top of the fact that it's been so maligned is the inability, even when it was good, to stretch the field. McNamara is going to give them that from a passing sense. I also think people forget he can run a little bit as well. Defensively, they're going to be solid as always. This should be a team, in my opinion, that's going to go well over that eight DK win total. I would be hitting the over on that pretty solidly when I look at their schedule. I'm not, once again, not shuddering at their schedule. Utah State, Iowa State, Western Michigan, you should finish 3-0 in your non-conference. You get Penn State out of the way early. You don't see another terrifying force maybe until Wisconsin later in the year. Other than that, you should really run the table um, as long as Kay Magnamara is the quarterback that I'm kind of hyping him up to be, but also the, the quarterback that he showed Michigan he could be, which is why that you know that QB battle was so close uh, up until last season. So pencil me in for Iowa to go over um, is DK win total, and pencil me in as one of the got to be one of the favorites coming out of the Big Ten West and shit at the very least be there when it's all said and done at the end of the year whether they get there or not maybe that's by a game or two maybe wisconsin really has figured it out on their end as well we'll get to them in just a second but i think iowa should be at the very least you know in the conversation uh for the big 10 west uh or for the big 10 championship game
0: all right let's uh move on up here into the top 16 with wisconsin finishing seven and six last year eight and a half is their DK win total. And we are over that eight and a half, so pretty positive on Wisconsin. Nick, our favorite in the West, Wisconsin has a lot of new faces in uh, head coach Luke Fickle, offensive coordinator Phil Longo, and a wealth of transfers. Is it wise to expect the Badgers to overcome so much change to
1: win the West? Um, wise is, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I understand why our numbers are where they are. Right now, you know, as you said, Wisconsin's 16th nationally in our power rankings, top four in the Big Ten. They are a clear team to beat in the Big Ten West, according to our projections. Uh, The talent numbers look good. They're top 20 overall in roster strength, top 10 on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Defensively, where we typically think of Wisconsin being, uh, you know, that that being the strength of uh, the program. You know, the 36, not not spectacular, but uh, not, you know, out of the, the range of what we're used to for Wisconsin from, from a, a talent standpoint. Uh, defensively, last year, the unit played incredibly well. They were number six in our team performance numbers overall, number four against the run, top 40 against the pass. And this team, you know, honestly, uh, at least the way that we graded in, in those team performance numbers, uh, was better than their record would indicate. They ranked 16th in overall team performance. If you look at the three-year and five-year windows of team performance ratings, they've been a top-10 program. Um, they're adding a top-10 head coach in Luke Fickle. Uh, our offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, as you mentioned, uh, ranks 11th in our OC rate, rankings. All that said, there's a lot of change going on. Um, You know, looks like four likely starters on the offensive side of the ball are uh, transfers in their first year. Tanner Mordecai at quarterback, C.J. Williams and Will Pauling at receiver. Uh, Bryson Green at receiver might work his way in. Uh, And then Joe Huber, probably going to be a starting guard, um, uh, is a first-year transfer as well. Uh, Phil Longo coming in, offensive coordinator it has an air raid background. Um, that's, that's a big change for Wisconsin. You know, we're, we're used to seeing uh, them really lean heavily into the running game. And, and they've got the, the players to do that with Braylon Allen, one of my favorite running backs, six two two forty, uh can carry a heavy workload and, and has at times in the past. Um, and then Chess Malusi is one of the better, you know, backup uh, running backs in, in the big 10, but, will this offense be a little more, you know, geared toward uh throwing the football? I mean, Longo's had some productive rushing attacks as well. It wasn't that long ago at North uh North Carolina when he had a, a two-headed uh running back duo that that, you know, went for 1000 yards. So, uh we I I I am fairly confident that this offense even though it seems a little weird, not used to uh, Wisconsin being in the air raid family. Um, also, when you think of the weather in November, not really uh, what you would would uh, draw up for a team that will uh, you know try to attack defenses through the air. Um, but I, I I think it'll work. I think that Phil Longo has been uh, willing to adapt based on the talent on hand and Wisconsin's done a a pretty decent job of going out and getting players to fit the system while also, uh, you know, potentially having guys to build around like Allen, uh, like a pretty experienced offensive line that brings back three full-time returning starters. So, um, really four, actually, if you, if you count, uh, Trey Whittig who's right now not expected to be, uh, in our starting lineup or, or sounds like not practicing with the number one unit early in fall camp, but, um, it's an experienced group and you know, I've heard some really, really good things about uh, Will Pauling. Uh, Chimre DK had a, a big year last year at wide receiver and, in, in, you know, a different offense. The, the, what we got used to is the more traditional Wisconsin offense. Uh, I think that he has the potential to do even more uh, in this new uh, scheme. So uh, there's, there's, I think a lot to like, there's just a lot of change. And then, you know, defensively, Luke Vickle, the, the new head coach, has a pretty strong track record uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, there's uh, quite a lot of, of experience as well. Uh, looks like half a dozen returning starters. And then similar to offense, uh, what, what uh, the Badgers have done on offense, they brought in some, I think, high ceiling uh, potential impact starters through the transfer portal as well. Darian Varner was incredibly productive at Temple uh, as an edge defender. Um, I'm hearing great things from a Division II transfer, Nazir uh, Forkareem. Um, early in spring practice, sounds like he's been a standout performer. Uh, Jason Maitre is a transfer from Boston College who's got 30, uh, 30 starts under his belt. And then uh, there's a name to note who I've, I've some conflicting things on whether or not he's officially gotten the waiver he needs but a transfer former starter corner at the air force academy uh michael mack the second so uh if he's able to to come in and play uh potentially might push for a starting job certainly uh would be a, a, a you know add some depth to that unit Travion blaylock missed all of last season with an injury if he's back and fully healthy adds depth to that unit so uh, similar to what I said about Wisconsin, but I think to an even, you know, higher uh, degree, or or has a higher ceiling, or similar to what I said about Minnesota. I mean, uh, Wisconsin, on paper, doesn't have any areas of the roster of the the two deep that really jump out to me as being major weaknesses. It's just will the the new people uh, you know coaching staff uh will that come together and, and be a smooth transition and will the incoming transfers that you're relying on in some pretty key spots uh will will they be able to come together and uh, just just be sort of a you know will it, will it work out like it it could will it work out like on paper everything looks good um relatively, uh, I, I would say manageable schedule, uh, ranks 41st in our strength of schedule numbers, winnable games in the non-conference against Buffalo, Washington state, and Georgia Southern Washington state and Georgia Southern both have the potential, I think to be pretty prolific offenses could be potentially tricky matchups. Buffalo is, is no push over, no pushover either. Um, and then, you know, the Big Ten schedule is, of course, tough, but uh, although they do get Ohio State as a, an East Division crossover, Indiana and Rutgers is the other two, that sets up pretty well. So um, Wisconsin is favored in 11 games. We have them as right around a, a touchdown underdog against Ohio State. I think the ceiling for this team is 11-1 and a rematch with Ohio State or an opportunity to face Michigan in the Big Ten championship game, uh, but if, you know, sometimes because there are growing pains with a new coaching staff, um, with a new offense, with incoming transfers, at the quarterback position especially, um, there are also plenty of things that could go wrong and, and we could see a team that uh, kind of has a, another disappointing 7-6 and six type season. I think that's that's certainly possible, but I do understand why our numbers like Wisconsin as much as they do. And I think me personally, I, I tend to side with the numbers on this one. I, I think that those, this Wisconsin team is uh, probably a little bit underrated uh, at this point um, from, you know, the market and, and things like that. I, I, I think that this team, uh, I, I think the chances of them being a 10-win team are better than them being a 7-win team.
0: Xavier, what do you think of Wisconsin here? Do you think that they're a team that uh, can get to that 10-win total, or would you have them closer to seven?
2: I think I'd have them closer to 10, uh, even if that does mean that they fall short and get to nine. I, I think realistically this is a team that has the ability to be balanced this year. Uh, I understand that they're going to have, you know, somewhat of a of a change uh, of, of scenery as far as the head coach is concerned. Um you know, with with Luke Fickle coming in, but I feel like with him coming in, also, you know, you're, you're going to see balance. You know, what if anything at Cincinnati? What they showed on a consistent basis on offense, in particular, was a a you know hard line of balance for that offense. You know how great Desmond Ritter was; they still made sure that you know Jerome Ford and company got their touches. You know who you know Trey Tucker got their touches on the outside. So you're going to see Wisconsin move their offense into the 21st century, which is great but they're going to do so still with the talent that Wisconsin has always had, right? Which is on the offensive line, which is in the backfield, right? Braylon Allen arguably is one of the best backs in the country. Um, and, you know, you're going to also see, you know, you have depth in the backfield with has Malusi, but you're also going to see an offense with Ken Mordecai who now can stretch the field a bit, which is something Wisconsin has not done on a consistent basis in a very long time. And I think when you see that version of Wisconsin, if Luke Fickle can get that out of them, then you're well, like we said about Iowa just a second ago. You're looking at a team that defensively has always been there. Wisconsin continues to be a solid, you know, good to great defensive outfit, seemingly year or, year over year. It's their offense that's really been holding them back. And if you're telling me that Fickle comes in, adds balance, adds dynamism to the offense and the play calling, um, you know, Tanner Mordecai hits the ground running as a transfer um, and does some of the things he was able to do. Uh, you know, at, at his previous stops at SMU that I don't see why not for Wisconsin. It makes, in my opinion, it makes the the, the Big Ten West competitive again, but it makes them uh, fun to watch and, in some, some respects, stomachable. Like, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, watching the Big Ten West has been hard. I, you know, I, I don't think I'm going on a limb when I say that, but, you know, you're talking about a team in Iowa who's going to add who adds in a little bit of dynamism at the quarterback position. You're talking about Wisconsin changing coaches to you know add some dynamism and some you know um, some different play calling to their offense coming into this year. And Tanner Mordecai is a guy who I think has been extremely underrated. You know, at SMU in some respects, uh, just because SMU hasn't necessarily hit the heights that they were supposed to with him there. Uh, but you're talking about a guy who's coming off of a year where he threw for 3,500 yards, 33 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. And the year before that, he threw for 3,600 yards, 39 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. So if he can get anywhere near those kind of numbers, you're talking about a Wisconsin team that might return back to, you know, the consistently 10-win Wisconsin team. That's what like I grew up with, with Melvin Gordon and company, that were always just in the in the Rose Bowl or, or close to it seemingly every year. Now, obviously, Fickle's job is going to be getting them over that, you know, proverbial hump of winning the Big Ten. But, as uh, you know, as far as this year goes, yeah, I really like them to be over this eight and a half win total. I really like them to compete for the Big Ten title, um, especially out of the Big Ten West. And like I said, outside of really Iowa um, that we just talked about, and maybe Minnesota, I, I, they have to be the proverbial favorite for me. Uh, just when you look at who they brought in, um, the talent that they already had when they come in, you know, I, I can only imagine what Fickle's going to do with a Braylon Island type talent. Um, you know, and then obviously, like I said, if Ken Morikawa can take that next step and continue what he did at SMU on to Wisconsin, you're looking at a team that should win no less than nine games. And I think 10 wins, like Nick said, is much closer than saying that they're going to replicate what they did last season.
0: Let's move on up. We go into the top 10 here. Uh, Penn State at number eight last year, finishing at 11 and two. DK has their win total at nine and a half, but we're slightly under at nine and a half, but as a top ten team, I mean very few people expect anyone but Michigan or Ohio State to win the big ten here. Nick, can you make the case for Penn State to win it
1: i I definitely think that, that it's possible, uh, other than playing Ohio State and Michigan um, which you do get Michigan at home the the schedule is manageable you know they rank sixty fourth in strength of schedule that's. About as low, maybe the lowest of, of any that we've talked about today. Uh, opening with West Virginia, a team that you know doesn't really scare you. Yeah, they're a Power Five opponent, but you get that game at home. West Virginia, you know, uh, might might be uh, one of the weaker uh, Power Five opponents out there. Um, ranked pretty low in our Big Twelve. Were they our lowest rate? Uh, Big 12 team power rankings wise, I think they might have been. So you know that's a a, a very winnable, should win that game. We've got Penn State favored by almost 17 right now. Uh, Delaware, an FCS team, uh, UMass in, in October. So you know three should win non-conference games. The crossover, you know Big Ten West uh, draw could be better. You do get a Iowa who. Uh, certainly we think can contend for that division, but that's at home Uh, have to go on the road at Illinois and on the road at Northwestern. Both, you know, should be uh, pretty heavy favorites for Penn state. Penn state should be pretty heavy favorites in both of those games. Getting Illinois early, I think is, is positive uh, with as many, uh, you know, positions as as Illinois is having to figure out with, with new faces uh, in those places. So Uh, You know, getting off to a good start is very possible. Um, Getting a little bit of a uh, gap between the Ohio State game and the Michigan game is, I think, a positive. Um, Getting both of those, you know, not exactly at, at the very end of the season, finishing with Rutgers and Michigan State, I think is a positive because if Penn State is able to maybe split those games, Find a way into uh, the Big Ten championship game. You know, I think uh, having a uh, not necessarily a break. I mean, playing <laughs> uh, Rutgers and Michigan State are, are still going to be tests, but um, you know that sets up pretty pretty well. Where even if if Penn State misses out on a Big Ten championship game, depending on how those Ohio State and, and Michigan matchups go, you could see a one loss team or maybe even a two loss team in the right scenario, uh, might find a way to to sneak into that playoff field. So Penn state, I do think is, is capable. Uh, the, the talent, you know, it's not elite level, top five talent, but they are 12th overall in roster strength, 13th on the offensive side of the ball, 12th on the defensive side of the ball. If you look at the raw numbers, it's actually a little bit, higher than that. If, you know, average two, four, seven rating on the offensive side of the ball, they're 10th on the defensive side of the ball. They're ninth. Uh, if you look at rivals rating, they're actually fifth on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so there is some elite talent here. There's still just a couple of spots where they're a little bit young. Uh, you know, quarterback is one of those. Drew Alar, five-star caliber guy. I know, you know, campus to Canton, a lot of the uh, Debbie folks on staff are sky high on Drew Lahr as an NFL prospect um, at the running back position, Nicholas Singleton is similarly, you know, top two or three uh, running back. Some might even put him at number one, as far as uh, NFL potential. Um, there's talent at the receiver group as well. Keandre Lambert Smith is, is experienced Dante Cephas. Uh, we haven't seen it at the power five level yet, but was very, very productive uh, at, uh, Kent State, Theo Johnson dealing with a little bit of a, a legal issue. See how that plays out, but um, he was a uh, uh, you know on the extreme high end of, of uh, the, the recruiting ratings at the tight end position. Olu uh, Fashanu is is on a lot of people's very very short list, maybe as the number one uh, tackle prospect in this upcoming NFL draft. So, I mean, there is there is a lot of elite talent potential on the offensive side of the ball. Defense is similar with guys like Abdul Carter, who had a freshman All-American type season last year. Chop Robinson, neither of those guys were actually technically starters, but they were both double-digit production point players and and I think have very, very bright futures, All-American candidate type players. Kalen King is, is, uh, I believe, considered one of the top uh corner prospects in the NFL draft uh, there's just the the high end potential is is there um even though Penn State ranks 101st in offensive returning production I mean you look position by position they stack up at least as far as the starting lineup goes with with any team in the country um the, the ceiling the high end potential for you know Alara quarterback Singleton and Catron Allen at, at running back, um, you know, off the charts, offensive line, tied in. I mean, there's no weak spot. Uh, if you're just looking at the potential for talent, there's just some, you know, we haven't quite seen it yet. We haven't seen Alar excel on a college field just yet. I uh, haven't seen him serve a game, you know, so so obviously there's a little bit of a question mark there, but uh, he certainly has the potential and, and you know, I think that the, the starting lineup for Penn State on both sides of the football is not going to be completely outclassed by either Ohio State or Michigan. I think both of those games are in the winnable category. In our talent edge projections, we do give Ohio State uh, an edge of, of greater than a touchdown. Um, but even that, you know, it's not like Penn State's just, just on a completely uh, different level talent-wise. And then Michigan, it's very, very close. We do have Michigan as a, a slight talent edge, but less than a field goal when converting those numbers to a projected point spread. So um, I think the chance of, of Penn State running the table, going undefeated, are quite low, but I think that the manageable non-conference schedule um, getting the draw that they do from the West and early in the season like they do, getting that Iowa game at home, uh, I, I think the chance of them, you know, going three zero in the non-conference, three zero against the West Division is pretty good. I think if they find a way to, to split that Ohio State and Michigan uh, those, those matchups, then you know, an 11 one Penn State team, uh, maybe maybe it's actually. Fortunate if they don't make it to the Big Ten championship, they sneak in as an 11-1 playoff team. Um, you know they're they're in the mix there, but I do think that uh, they are certainly capable of beating either Ohio State or Michigan, potentially both. Especially if that talent on offense really does come up to its level uh, of potential. Um, and then you know you win the Big Ten and, and you. All bets are off. You're 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 certainly going to be in the mix uh, in the national championship race. So it's going to be difficult having to to play both Ohio State and Michigan, being underdogs in both games. Those are both certainly you know games that they could lose. Uh, and sometimes Penn State doesn't always um, take care of business. I mean, last year solid season, obviously 11 and two um, beat. Or only lost to Penn State and Michigan, or excuse me, only lost to Ohio State and Michigan. Um, but in the past, we've we've seen this team this team lose a game or two that they're not supposed to. So being on the under nine and a half, I understand that as well. But I do think that the the ultimate ceiling for uh, this team is a national championship. So uh, it's going to be very very difficult, but I'm really excited to see, uh, especially the talent on offense, that we haven't gotten to see a full you know, season of yet. Uh, really excited for, for what this team could be.
0: Xavier, your thoughts on uh, Penn State. Do you think that this yeah. is a team that can take the next step and get into this mix with Ohio State and Michigan, or are they still on the outside looking in?
2: I want to say that they're a year away. I really do. I want to see Drew Aller- put together a season that I can respect before I just don them as a team that's ready to make that next step. You know, I've read the press clippings. I've listened to Penn State fans rave about the talent that that kid is. But I also saw them do the same thing with Trace McSorley. And they got close once in in his tenure there. But I really just want to make sure that, you know, before I'm like, yeah, Penn State can compete for the Big Ten, let's see them do it. Um, you know, Drew Aller is all the talent, all the conversation, all the conjecture. Um, but I, I want to see him do it. He's got the talent around him to do it. Nicholas Singleton, is has got one of the best backfields in the country, if not the best tandem in the country. Um, you know, he's got uh, uh, an outside receiving core that should be serviceable uh, and can play up at times if need be. Theo Johnson is a guy who I think is mad underrated. Um, in, in this, uh, grand scheme of college football, I think he's extremely, he can be extremely good when he's healthy. Um, he, he's got a first round bona fide lock-in top 15 pick at left tackle. Um, I think the guy would have been the top, you know, would have been the top 15, 20 pick in this year's draft. And this year had a ton of tackles, uh, that went top 10, uh, top 15, excuse me. So I, I, I think they've got the offense as long as Drew Aller is that guy. Um, defensively, they've been pretty good um they've had to do a lot of you know being perfect over the last couple of years with the quarterback play and i think that you know uh, having an offense that should be more dynamic that should you know be able to win some of those shootouts if need be or just keep them in games a little bit better um it's gonna le- it's gonna make the defense look that much better as well i think the defense like i said has had to be relatively perfect for them to compete at the highest level of the big 10 over the last couple of years um with sean cliff at qb and as we know, defenses are never always perfect, um, especially when you're playing the likes of Ohio State and Michigan to get to the Big Ten championship game and ultimately win the Big Ten. Uh, when you look at their schedule, it's really, really favorable for them. This is a team that should start off six and 0, no question. Um, you know, unless Illinois really does replicate what they were able to do last year, uh, but six and 0 before they see Ohio State, um, it's a you know we should be seeing one of the you know a rank versus ranked matchup, you know, up there in Ohio. Um, that isn't a away game for them, so it's gonna be rather tough. But Ohio State's got its own court questions at the quarterback position, right? Um, so once again, let's see Drew Aller do it. We know the name, the talent is on display, you know. But let's 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 see what he's able to do for a full year um, with no questions on whether or not he's going to be the starting QB. It's his job. It's his job to win. It's his job. To, i mean, sir, It's his job. It's his job to lose. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. I think realistically, this is a guy who, if he does live up to the hype, Penn State's gonna be one of the better teams in the country over the next two seasons while he's there. Um, if not, then we'll, you know, we're we're back at the drawing board. And I think that's the, the that's the scary part for Penn State is that the quarterback room has been really the only massive question mark that they've had over the last half a decade and it, that's been the, the difference in them either winning a national championship and either just going to the Rose Bowl or just winning ten games. It's been the quarterback position being able to elevate the rest of the roster to that level. They've had the defensive prospects. They've had the the you know the skill position talent on the out uh or in the backfield down on the outside. Can they have a quarterback that's gonna that's gonna take them all the way? Is Drew Riley that guy? That's the question that needs to be answered this season.
1: All
0: right, let's move up into the top five here. Number three, Michigan, thirteen and one last season. Uh, Ten and two is their projected record. Uh, uh, Ten and a half, excuse me, is their. Uh, DK win total, we're slightly under that 10.5, uh, but Nick, the Wolverines beat Ohio State in 21 and 2022 are, two time de- are the two-time defending Big Ten champions and have gone to the playoffs in each of the first two seasons here. Can Michigan put it all together to win it all in
1: 2023? I, I think they can. I think that our uh, power rankings probably – underrate Michigan a little bit at number three. Um, I think, I mean, we've we've seen plenty of headlines and hype uh, in recent weeks about, you know, J.J. McCarthy and uh, what's his high level of, of uh, potential as far as an NFL prospect uh, seems to be gaining some steam compared to what I thought it was <laughs> coming into this year. But um, uh, there's also been some notes, and I think uh, it was Jim Harbaugh, actually, who said it. That, uh, you know, the the this particular roster could have something like 20 NFL draft picks. Um, and that sounds a little crazy at first. Might. You know, there were also some uh, comments or headlines about how they could break the the NFL draft record for number of players drafted in, in one uh, year. Um, but then saw some draft analysts that kind of backed that up. And like, yeah, maybe maybe they could. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the elite raw talent numbers aren't quite there. Like if you look at the average two, four, seven rating or average on three rating, things like that, they're in the double digits on offense, defense overall across the board. Basically, um, the running back group is, is an exception. They're sixth in average two, four, seven rating at, at running back, uh, and average on three rating. Both of those are, are sixth. Um, but that group is number one in the country in our persistent strength rating. So take that raw talent, add some experience, guys like Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, the production that those guys uh, have had and it, it just elevates it to another level. And that's kind of what we've seen at multiple positions. So even though, uh, you know, in Alabama or an Ohio state uh, or a Georgia recruit better in raw numbers. Michigan has done a a good job of uh, player evaluation, one, because there are certainly some guys who maybe the recruiting services were a little lower on that it sounds like NFL draft folks maybe are uh, higher on, but then also they're developing players quite well also. So getting them experience in production, uh, developing them and and either unearthing some uh, legit High-end NFL talent that that you know might have been a little bit underrated coming out of high school. Adding some of those guys through the transfer portal, um, they're getting some real experience from you know offensive linemen like Ladarius Henderson and Drake Nugent. Uh, folding them into a group that includes uh, three returning starters. Uh, Josiah Stewart was underrated coming out of high school, but immediately emerged as uh, one of the top pass rushers at the Group of Five level at Coastal Carolina. Has been a multi-year starter he's going to come in and, and, you know, play right away. Uh, And then other guys on the roster who, you know, maybe there's an elite talent like a Will Johnson starting corner as a true freshman last year, but then also uh, a guy like Mike Sanstril, right. Who who was recruited as a wide receiver, kind of a high three, low four star type guy converts to Nickelback and, and becomes a starter and an incredibly productive player. So uh, Michigan has, has, done a lot of things right especially the last couple of seasons and things really seem to be clicking on all cylinders Um, and you know I I think they're uh, a legitimate national championship contender Uh, all that said Ohio State is is still slightly ahead in our rankings Georgia is also up there and and you know it's gonna be difficult. there are um uh, some other losable games the trip to Penn state uh in november that that's gonna be very, very difficult uh beating Ohio State three years in a row doesn't happen very often. That's gonna be very, very difficult uh Michigan absolutely could be ten and two uh just there, and then you know who's to say that they don't slip up and lose a game? Like the Illinois game, they sh- you know, should have, certainly could have lost last year. Uh, you know, sometimes they struggle with Michigan State. Uh, sometimes, you know, a team like Minnesota, especially on the road, uh, can can uh, trip a, a team up. So uh, Michigan is, is certainly, uh, like I said with Penn State, the ceiling is Big Ten champs, national champs. Um, but uh, they're also not quite invincible either. Um, you know, maybe they'll have uh, a Heisman-type season from J.J. J. McCarthy. I, th- I think that's certainly possible, um, but also maybe, you know, he doesn't quite play as well. Uh, maybe maybe he uh, is a little bit inconsistent here and there, and, and that ends up costing Michigan in a game that, uh, keeps them out of a playoff. It's, it's certainly within the realm of possibility, but uh, Michigan, I think is, is on the very short list of uh, teams that are, are I'm most excited to watch um, and really do seem to uh, have the potential to put it all together and be one of the very, very best teams in college football. Um elite running back group, really solid potential at quarterback, some playmakers at receiver, Colson Loveland at tight end, I think has uh, an incredibly high ceiling. Uh, the athletic ability and, and what we, I think, can see from him as a receiver is really, really exciting. And then, you know, defensive player, Junior Colston uh, has has all-conference and all-American type potential, right? Uh, Amarian Walker stepping in potentially as the, uh, next starter, even though he didn't play very much last year. Sounds like he's very much in the mix, maybe the favorite to start alongside Will Johnson. Uh, Mention Josiah Stewart, Chris Jenkins and Jalen Harrell, both of those guys coming back uh, as starters. Mason Graham was very productive, especially for a 317-pounder you know, in the interior defensive line last year. So um, the the list is long of, of uh, high-potential players for Michigan, the list is very short when it comes to areas of, of you know, question, especially personnel-wise. Uh, it's just whether or not they're going to be able to avoid injury and, and play up to the level of potential and, and uh, beat the most talented teams on their schedule like Penn State and Ohio State.
0: Michigan, I mean, we, we've doubted hardball for a long time, Xavier. Yes, we have. He's got these guys in position to to do the whole thing this year. Can
2: they do it? They better. Like I'm sorry, this I'm, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep it as blunt as possible. Look, they better. Look, look. If they don't do it this year, when the rest of the country does not even know who their starting quarterback is for the most part, you better figure it. You bet. You, this is the year. Ohio State, brand new quarterback. Georgia, brand new quarterback. Alabama, brand new quarterback. We just talked about Penn State. Quinn Ewers is the only returning quarterback of any team that I think competes for a national title this year. you better. Williams. Huh? Caleb Williams? Oh yeah. Well, Let's see if you can figure out the defense side of the ball first. We're okay. trying to get right. yeah. right. But fair, fair point. So we've got two teams out of the rest of the top 10 that genuinely are returning starting quarterbacks. And maybe you throw in Jaden Daniels as well. You've got the best returning team that they've had at Michigan in a very long time. If they don't, it's a knock against Harbaugh. I'm sorry, like, dude, you've been on the precipice for the last two seasons.
0: You will precipice- be another knock on Harbaugh, not just not just a knock, another knock.
2: Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Too much starch in the in the khakis. Um, you know, you you were a prohibited favorite against TCU this past year. Should have won that. What well, what should have won that game on paper, quote unquote. The year before, obviously, you were overmatched against Georgia. This is year three. This is the year that you're supposed to at the very least get to the national championship game. You know, uh, obviously we understand Ohio State is still the hump that you get over, but you've conquered that the last couple of years, right? You, you've you at least figured out a way to get past a team that you, you know, seen that you could never get past. Not only that, but you return all of, you know, most of the, the, the important pieces from that roster. You bring back your starting quarterback. You bring back both your starting running backs. Uh, you know, you bring back one of your better better receivers. Obviously, you, you know you lose one. Um, your, your secondary um, is going to be is really the only place on the field for me that I really see a hole. Um, they, they lose a lot of senior laden talent from last year's team. Some drafted, some not. But that's the only part of the field that I go. Okay, if I see Michigan being bad in one thing, maybe it's defending the deep ball. Maybe it's you know if they can't get pressure on the quarterback, then their their, their secondary is you know, open and could be, it could lead to some, to some big plays. Well, I'm sorry, but you look at their schedule and I don't see very many teams on that schedule that are just going to be throwing the ball around the yard or having talent to do so outside of Ohio State, right? You know, maybe Penn State gives them issues, um, but I I just don't see, especially with the way that their schedule lines up, they don't play anybody on the non-conference that I'm like, you know, worried about for them. This is a team that should be undefeated, going into the Penn State matchup. You know, I think they've defeated the demons of giving one away as well. Um, Maybe, we'll see. Uh, uh, You know, we'll we'll see how the season's kind of progressing and maybe we find the trap game on there. But as currently constructed, as we look at the schedule, this should be a team that is banging on the door of the CFP, uh, of the playoff. And if they're not in there this year with, like I said, arguably Harbaugh's best team of his tenure, I, I think it's fair to suggest. It's it's a failure in, in some respects. Like it's it is national champion. You are now in the range of national championship or bust. You're 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 right there with the with the Kirby Smarts, with the Dabo Swings, Where if you're not winning eleven plus games at the very least, putting yourself in the conversation slash getting to the playoff, then people look at it as a down season. I mean, heck, we do the same thing with Clemson, right? They won what ten games last year. We called it a down year. Like it, it's it's t- it's at that point where now Michigan's expectations have reached that. This is where Michigan. Has wanted to get back to under hardball, Now you're here. Now it's time to put up or shut up and make and either one a make your first national title appearance, you know, under hardball or win your first national championship. Um, I think anything less than a college football playoff appearance for them would be, like I said, would be um, would be considered an underwhelming season. Perfectly honest with you, because of like what I said with Ohio State having a brand-new quarterback. I understand that their defense, so we'll get to them in a second, I understand that their defense could be elite this year. But offensively, they have the, the most important position on the field is brand-new. Michigan, you've got all the makings to make a run at this. Even your off- offensive line returns, you know, uh, three starters that played over 60% of the snaps last year. So I'm like, all right, cool. Michigan has the making of doing it. Now, what is it like when you are genuinely the hunted? by everybody, including Ohio State. Um, And then lastly, you know, the last part I'll add to this, I think Colston Loveland might be one of my favorite tight ends in the country. And so he's going to be another one that if they're going to be able to open up the passing game, losing David, you know, losing Bell, that's who I look at. He had a really good play. He had a really good semifinal game um, against TCU, showed flashes, Uh, only played 43% of snaps last year, but that kid can go. I'm not gonna, you know, I heard some people was like, yeah, he's the next Brock Bowers. Not going that far, but you know, he's got three years of eligibility. Eligibility. He looks really good as a passer or as a as a pass catcher and a route runner. And he's from Idaho, which just makes this all much the more fun. Colston Loveland is a guy that I think helps that offense really hit that next level if they do indeed, you know, make or win their first national title.
0: All right, you laid it out pretty well. Uh, You know, I, I was a little surprised when you said they better. Uh, but you laid it out pretty well, though, Xavier. Great job. Uh, let's go to the number one team, according to our Power Rankings, Ohio State finishing 11-2 and two last season. 10.5 is their DK win total. Uh, we're just slightly under that because we're just going to be slightly under all the teams that have high win totals. But, Nick, for Ohio State, despite coming up short in back-to-back seasons, they're the number one again for us. Why are the Buckeyes the team to beat in our projections?
1: Uh A big piece of it is talent, and you know I mentioned that that Michigan, from a just recruiting standpoint, and you know those aren't perfect, but they're they're pretty good uh far more often than not. Ohio State has just had a little bit more raw talent to work with um and consistently they have been one of the top three programs in the country. Uh, last year in our overall team performance numbers, they were number three. Uh, they have been number three in our three-year weighted average or a five-year weighted average. So, um, I mean, you're in the, the conversation with Georgia and Alabama every year uh, for the most part, you know, our numbers trust Ohio state is going to be um, in that very, very elite tier. The primary question, the question that that everybody's got is, uh, what's the quarterback position going to look like? Kyle McCord, I think, is the favorite. Most people would, would say that he's probably the favorite to win that job. I know there are definitely some Devin Brown fans. I know a lot of the uh, talent evaluators at, at Campus DeCanton are very, very high uh, on Devin Brown, think that he could potentially win this job. But uh, regardless, you know, both guys were very, very highly rated coming out of high school, um, would expect that either is going to be, you know, I would say it's going to be just fine, regardless of of which of these guys is is uh, playing quarterback, because both of them are probably uh, going to be very very good college quarterbacks, and then the talent around them is as good as it gets, basically. Um, you know, the running back position. Trevion Henderson, he disappointed a little bit last year, was banged up a bit, Um, but, uh, you know, was a starter as a true freshman, uh, has NFL potential, five-star talent. Marvin Harrison Jr. is, most people would say, the best wide receiver in the country, Um, is an All-American caliber guy, probably going to be the number one receiver in the NFL draft next year. Amike Ibuka is also a uh, all-American caliber receiver, future pro. Julian Fleming was, uh, I believe, the number one wide receiver recruit in the country a few years ago. And then just, you know, the number of five-star receivers on this roster is, is ridiculous. Um, there is so much depth in, in that group, whether you're talking Carnell Tate or Brandon Ennis uh, coming in potentially as true freshman uh, contributors this year um it's just unbelievable the amount of receiver talent that ohio state has combined uh compiled uh that that you know mccord or, or brown they're going to be able to, to uh, find plenty of weapons to work with uh there and for whatever reason if if they get a little bit of lackluster quarterback play hand it off to Trayvon henderson mayan williams uh you know down hayden had an opportunity to uh, perform last year. Trip Trainum was a, a highly, highly rated running back recruit, moved to linebacker, back at running back, uh, and, and performed well at times when he had to, to step in last season. There's just an embarrassment of riches uh, at the skill positions for Ohio State. And even though the offensive line potentially a little bit of a, a question mark, uh, they do have two all-conference performers in guards, Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones. Uh, they brought in some uh, you know, transfer talent, both group of five transfers, Vic, uh, Victor Cutler and Josh Simmons were full-time starters at ULM and San Diego State respectively. But then, uh, you know, Ohio State certainly is is bringing in talented, uh, linemen, recruits, four-star, five-star guys in bunches every year. So, um, I, I'm confident that, you know, this unit, uh, that graded out as a top 20 unit nationally last year in our performance ratings. Uh, maybe they take a slight step back, but I, I don't think that we're going to see a, a huge drop off in offensive line play. And then, you know, defensively, I took a big step forward last year, uh, moving to Jim Knowles as the defensive play caller. Uh, he is number 11 in our DC ratings. Uh, the unit performed quite well, was number 12 nationally. And defensive team performance, that was uh, a significant move up from being 30th in 2020, 20, 39th in 2021. 20, uh, um, and I think with, you know, the elite talent that they've accumulated on that side of the ball as well, which includes our number one rated front seven in our position strength ratings, uh, that's number two at linebacker, number six at defensive line, both number one in the big 12. Um you know, there, there's a lot to like. You uh, combine that with the number two back seven. So we've got the number one front seven in the country, number two back seven in our position strength numbers with a top 10 defensive uh, backfield. It's the number one, uh, you know, just as, as far as average position strength rating goes, number one in the country, they're number two in defensive roster strength. So there are absolutely zero weak spots talent-wise. Um, you've got elite talent, you know, guys like JT Tuamalau, who was a uh, five-star defensive end, had a huge, huge year production-wise last season, took over. What what game was it that he basically single-handedly uh, won? Was that
0: Penn State? For Ohio State, it might have been that Penn State game. For really
1: sure. Uh, yeah. You know, Tommy Eichenberg was incredibly productive last year, all Big Ten performer, 22 production points. Um, Denzel Burke has been a multi-year starter going into his true junior season at corner. I mean, they're just, you know, the, the talent is there and they've recruited incredibly well at an elite level. Um, and they are, you know, working to supplement that as well uh, with some depth through the transfer portal guys like Tywon Malone, Lorenzo Styles, who was a receiver at Notre Dame moving over to corner uh, to play uh, for Ohio State this year, Jahadkar, Davison, uh, uh, Igben Uh All talented players got 50% or more of snaps last season at their respective schools. Um, it's just, uh, you know, hard to argue that there is a real weak spot for Ohio State. Even though there is, yes, a question mark at quarterback, I, I think that. Kyle McCord is going to be just fine. Devin Brown, if he has to be the guy, is just fine. Um, the offensive line, okay, you know, may, maybe uh, from what we saw in the in the spring, uh, might not match up super well with the elite fronts that we're probably going to see at Michigan and Penn State. But plenty of time to get that figured out uh, by that October 21st kick against the Nittany Lions and, of course, the end of the regular season at Michigan. Um, And the defense, you know, yeah, they haven't played like they've got number one or number two type talent quite yet, but the potential, I think, is definitely there, especially in year two under Jim Knowles. So um, Ohio State can be beaten. We've seen the last couple of years that they can be beaten, but they can also beat anybody in the country uh, as well. We've said, multiple times this offseason, probably should have beaten Georgia in the semifinal, Um, and I think certainly can uh, beat Michigan and compete with just about anybody else uh, in the country this year.
0: Xavier, your thoughts on Ohio State. Is this another true uh, national championship contending year for them, or do they slide back without C.J. Stroud?
2: I think Kyle McCord can be good. How good is the question? Right. Uh he's gonna have the requisite talent that can elevate any quarterback in the country, let alone a guy who I think in Kyle McCord is coming in with, you know, sizeable expectations. But I don't think he's coming in with like unrealistic expectations, I'll be honest. Um, I think that, you know, he's a guy who's gonna be able to come in and kinda just figure it out for a while. Um there's gonna be there's gonna be some I'm not gonna say ugly wins, but like ugly wins for Ohio State standards, right? So instead of winning by twenty five, they'll win by like fourteen. Instead of winning by, you know, 30, they win by 20. And maybe you see Kyle McCord throw some uncharacteristic interceptions at the beginning of the year. You know, maybe that Notre Dame game, we really see what this Ohio State team can be for real. It is away as well. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty high on Notre Dame this year. I think Marcus Freeman's got something going there. Um, so maybe we, we get a, a real good early uh, taste of what Ohio State will be this season. But realistically, I don't think we see the full scope of what Ohio State will be until we get to later in the year, once Kyle McCord has had, you know, 75% of the year to really figure out what he's going to be as a quarterback um, with this talent. I mean, he's still got Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Edguka, Julian Fleming, I think, is due in for a huge year, I'll be honest with you. And if not this year, next year. Cause I think he's the guy who ends up staying. Um Trayvon Henderson, you know, him and Mayan Williams together is one heck of a, uh, a tandem, as long as they can stay healthy, the both of them. Cade uh, Stover. Another guy who, if he can stay healthy, um, is going to be a fun guy to watch. Um, and then, I mean, what, what Ohio State's going to hang his hat on this year, it's not rocket science. It's the defense. You know, you, you've got Jack Sawyer, who I, I think up until this point has really had – This has not necessarily reached the levels of what people thought he could be, but I think he's due in for a huge year. Uh, JT, obviously, I think it, it can submit himself as a top ten pick, depending on the kind of year that he has. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg is one of the best linebackers in the country. Uh, Steel Chambers – top five best names in the country, um, and ha- also is extremely talented. Um, and then obviously on the back end, you know, this was, a, this was a secondary that I think showed its youth a little bit in the Georgia game last year um, when they needed to really, you know, uh, hunker down and, and shut down uh, that, that Georgia receiving court, just struggled a little bit in that third and fourth quarter, obviously Lathan Ransom with a slip that kind of opened the door for Georgia to come back in that game altogether. But once again, this, this, that was a sophomore – and, you know, that was a sophomore and junior-led defensive back room. Those guys are a year older now um, and going to be a year, a year more confident, uh, a, a year better, in my opinion, as well. Um, you know, Ransom um, in particular is probably going to be one of the better safeties in college football this year. Uh, I just, you know, once again, I think Ohio State can run the table. I don't know if they're better than Michigan on offense, if Kyle McCord doesn't elevate himself. Skill level wise, skill position wise, I think it's obvious their wide receiver core is better. But I've got JJ McCarthy is better than Kyle McCord right now. I think that's fair. But defensively is where Ohio State can separate itself from Michigan, in my opinion. Um, If if the guys who, if those five stars and four stars that they, you know, touted over the last couple of years really hit that hit that ceiling, Uh, Jack Sawyer can really turn into that guy. Which he, he you know he was being compared to a young Bosa when he was coming out of high school. Then you got yourself a, a, a one terrifying defense that's going to just be able to allow a young quarterback to figure himself out. And if they allow him to do that, and they don't, you know, have any trip ups early in the season, like I said against Maryland, i sorry, against Notre Dame in week four, uh, Penn State in week seven, then this is going to be a team that when we get to the end of the year, like we like it, Michigan undefeated, Ohio State undefeated, winner goes to the Big Ten championship game, and probably goes to the playoffs. And that's how college football should be.
0: That's how it has been recently. So uh,
2: hopefully we
0: can see uh, those two teams play great as we expect them to. But that is it. That is the entirety of the Big Ten preview for 2023. Uh, And uh, coming up next, we are going to our last Power Five conference in the ACC. So uh, last uh, Power Five. Then we're going to double up on the G5s to get them done before the season starts because it is rapidly approaching. It is August 6th as we record this. So. Uh, we're moving fast and furious towards the start of the season, and we are ready for it. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogdan Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, at Xavier underscore Trischier, I C H E, and at Campus Two, the number two Canton. And we will see you guys next time. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>